I'm staying here at this hotel in Manchester, New Hampshire. I just took a shower and it's, it's a little foggy in here. The windows have steamed up. I hope, hope this isn't steaming up. I did a lesson on the phrasal verb steamed up not too long ago, but I was taking a shower and I noticed this thing. Let's zoom in here a little bit. I don't know, well, this is body wash. So when you're taking a shower, this is, this is the shower here, right down there. You can uh, use body wash. Guess what body wash does? It's just an English term for stuff that washes your body. It's, it's soap. It's liquid soap. It's not a bar of soap. Um, but it says, it says not soap radio. I don't know what that means. And uh, my wife, Jamie, is staying here with me. Is the lens fogging up? And she didn't know what it means either. But this is the part I want to talk about. When life gives you one too many lemons. Let's talk about that first. When life gives you one too many lemons, that means some bad luck. Now, this is the part that relates to relaxing and happy place. And you've misplaced your happy place. They say this is joy inducing body wash. You wash your body with this body wash and you will feel joy. I don't think that works that way exactly. I just did take a shower, like I said, and I feel about the same. I was feeling pretty good before. I'm still feeling pretty good now, but I don't feel that much better, but life hasn't handed me too many lemons lately, so this is really dark in here, sorry. And is it fogging up? No, but happy place out in the real world. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brent here from American English with this guy and I just used an American English idiom that I thought might help you. I just said my dog, I'm playing with him outside, lives in the lap of luxury and I think if you are learning English it would be helpful to know the lap of luxury, what that means. So in today's English lesson we are going to break down what lap means. There are like three meanings. We're gonna talk about luxury, and by the end of this video, you will know how to use the lap of luxury and so much more. All right, before we talk about the lap part, I need to throw Hank his ball. There you go. Okay, go get it. All right, lap has three different meanings, but only one for this idiom. Let's talk about the other two though, lap. It's another way to say you are licking something. So let's say you had a really good ice cream cone. To eat it, you might start lapping the cone. Or my dog, when he's really thirsty, he will lap his water. So the verb lap 
can have something to do with licking and something to do with the tongue. Also, racing. Could be car racing, could be racing when people run or horses run, but each time they go around in a circle, it's called a lap. But when we're talking about the lap of luxury, it's a different meaning. When you are standing up, you don't have a lap. When you sit down, you do have a lap. And that lap is where maybe you will hold your dog or maybe you will hold a child. And that is the meaning of lap we use when we talk about the lap of luxury. Now, the next word we have to talk about, he wants me to throw his ball again. He's gonna have to wait though, is luxury. We need to talk about luxury. So anytime you hear luxury, think rich. Think a lot of money. If you stay in a really nice hotel, we might call that a luxury hotel, or we might call that luxurious, which is a hard word to say. That's the adjective form of luxury, luxurious. He's actually chewing at my feet, so I might not have to throw his ball for a little while. So let's talk about other things that can be luxury or luxurious. That's the, the adjective form again. Maybe somebody has luxurious hair. It's like really rich. That way, it actually has nothing to do with money. So maybe it's really thick. Um, I don't have luxurious hair because uh, I'm going bald, but maybe a hairdresser. They love luxurious hair because they get to feel it and they get to cut it and they get to style it luxurious. And my dog lives in the lap of luxury. Think about some dogs. I feel bad for them. They might be at the pound. That's the place in the United States we call it when a dog doesn't have a home. They might go to the pound or they might go to an animal shelter. Both terms are used. But my dog, he gets spoiled. He has people who play with him. He gets food every day, water, whenever he wants it. So I said, instead of some dogs who are living in the, at the pound or they're living at the animal shelter, I, I feel really bad for them. Or in other countries, maybe your country, they have problems with stray dogs. Stray dogs are dogs that don't have a home and they wander the streets. So this dog is living in the lap of luxury, which means he has a good life. He has everything he wants. Are you spoiled? Do you have a good life? Do you live in the lap of luxury? Let me know in the comments, I'm curious. I think my dog is cute but he's kind of dumb. Sometimes he eats grass. If you like this lesson, please hit the like button. If you want more English, take a look right up there. I have an English lesson where I talk about finding your happy place. In today's English lesson, I want to explain what big brother is in English. And I don't mean your big brother or a big brother, but simply big brother. Before we talk about the term big brother, let's talk about where that term comes from. It comes from a book called 1984 written by a British author named George Orwell and he wrote this book in 1949. So back then the year 1984 was the future 
obviously I am making this in 2021, so 1984 is no longer the future. But when you think of Big Brother, think the future, or maybe the future is already here. When you think of Big Brother, what do you think of? Maybe a sibling. We have brothers or sisters, and a brother is the male sibling. Now I'm going to use a couple pretty big words here. Benevolent or malicious. So a big brother could be benevolent. That means they want good things to happen to you. If they're your big brother, they're older than you. So maybe they are protective of you. They don't want anything bad to happen to you. But they could be a malicious big brother. And if they're a malicious big brother, they might hit you when your parents aren't looking, or they might tease you. That's why when you hear the term big brother, it's a little bit of both. It's somebody or something that is watching out for you. They're keeping an eye on you. They're making sure nothing bad happens to you, but are they? Maybe they are snooping. Maybe they are getting into your business. Maybe they are taking too much control of you. And when we talk about Big Brother, it's often a government. It's a large company who produces products. Take your phone, for example. A lot of times when I am just talking about something with a friend or maybe my family, little while later, not too long after, I will get an ad on my phone about the exact thing I was talking about. Maybe you know my family and I, we've recently acquired a dog. We, we, we bought a dog. He's our dog now. And before, I was never talking about dog food. I was never talking about dog toys. I was never talking about dog training. But when I started talking about it with my family, my phone started showing me ads. So that's why we might say, Big Brother is looking out for us. Big Brother is watching us. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Like they might be spying on us. Our phones might be listening to everything we say and then giving us ads. Is that a good thing? Or is that a bad thing? Sometimes we would say that's an invasion of privacy. So if you want something to be private, you wanna keep it to yourself. You don't want anybody to know. And if there is an invasion, that means someone has done something they shouldn't have. They've come into a place that they shouldn't have. So our phones listening to us, is that an invasion of privacy? Is that big brother watching us? Big companies sell products that might help you around the house. Maybe they'll turn your lights on for you. Maybe you can say the name and ask them a question and they will tell you the answer. Hey Siri, how many people live in Bulgaria? And she's going to know pretty quickly. See, she's always listening. Well, what if she's listening to other things that I don't want her to know about? Maybe I say my bank account to somebody 
is that going to be an invasion of privacy? Would she somehow get that information and tell other people? Or could other people break into that software and then they get my bank account number and then they get all of my money? Surveillance cameras, have you heard that term before? They're cameras that are watching our every move. They know if someone runs a red light or goes through a red light in their car, but are they also watching us do other things? Should we be concerned? What do you think? Big brother, is it a good thing? Do we get information more quickly this way? Or does it come with a price? Is it an invasion of privacy? Please let me know in the comments. And if you are not done learning English, here is an English lesson I did on a roller coaster. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Hello, how's it going? English lesson for you right here. It's just basically going to be me talking, but you'll be able to improve your listening comprehension just by listening to me and I am going to introduce quite a few new terms. So I hope you're ready for this. Some of it might be a little bit advanced, but I wanted to talk about a comment I got from Alexi. Have it right here. I'll need to put my glasses on to read it, but I'll put it up on the screen so you'll be able to read it. But Alexi, I did a video on um, Big Brother in 1984. I'll leave a link to it at the end of this one. But Alexi says, 1984 was one of the first books I read in English from cover to cover. Right there, I'm thinking Alexi's English is pretty good because he used a term we often use in English, but I don't know how many people learn it, and that is cover to cover, cover to cover. So I have a, a couple props here. And when you have props, it's just different items that might help you teach, or maybe you're an actor, you might use props. But uh, this right here, Stephen King, one of my favorite authors, um, this book, we call this a, a hardcover book, by the way, because it's, it's hard. This is a, a paperback book, but they both have covers. So the cover of the book, this would be the front cover, this would be the back cover. So if you read a, a book from cover to cover, it basically means you read it from beginning to end. Beginning to end. So Alexi says he read 1984 from cover to cover. Yeah, Big Brother is undoubtedly watching us. Undoubtedly watching us. And it happened so unexpectedly that even George Orwell could not predict. Very well written, by the way, there. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I put a B in there, but I don't think we often say undoubtedly. We might, undoubtedly. It's a good word, it's a good word to know. Undoubtedly, it's a good word to know. And I said, wow, congratulations, Alexi. The book still holds up after all these years. And that's what I wanna talk about is the fact that I used still holds up. We use this term when something is older, so it has to be old, but, it still works today. So I think the book 1984, even though it was written in the 1940s, we can still apply it to today. It still works for today. We can still learn something from it today. Another movie that I wanna talk about, it's not related to 1984, but there's an older movie 
that I think still holds up. We use this a lot with movies. Um, it's a movie I saw a while ago, but it's a really old movie. I think I watched this about five years ago, but it's called The Sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And it was made in the 1960s. But when I watched it, I thought, wow, this movie could have been made today and I think people would like it. I think it still would hold up. Uh, another thing is music. Maybe, I like the Beatles. I think I've talked about that before. Um, they obviously were around in the 1960s. Well, maybe if you're younger than I am, you don't know that the Beatles were around in the 1960s. But if you're my age, you know, like, oh yeah, the 1960s, that's when the Beatles were popular. But in my opinion, some of their music could be released today, and I think it would still do well. It would still hold up. A song like I Want You, She's So Heavy, from uh, Abbey Road, I think, it's, it's a, I think it might work still today. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is how we wouldn't use Still Holds Up with People. So I was thinking about Marilyn Monroe. She was an actress in the 1950s and 60s. Long time ago. She has since passed away. Uh, but some people back in the day, back in the day, we sometimes use that term when it was a long time ago. So some people back in the day thought that she was beautiful. Some people today, I think, still think that she's beautiful. So instead of saying people, oh, Marilyn Monroe, she still holds up, we probably wouldn't use that for a person, but we might call her a timeless beauty, a timeless beauty. So in any time that she lived, some people might consider her beautiful. So lots to learn there. Maybe watch this video a couple times. If you want more English, I talked about it before. I made a video about Big Brother. Maybe you want to check that out. All right. Thanks for watching. See you next time. In today's English lesson, I am going to be answering your questions. A couple days ago, I asked you to submit your questions and you did a lot of questions. In fact, so many that I won't be able to answer them all, but all of these have either come from YouTube or they've come from the Discord server that uh, members can take part in. There is an option if you would like to become a member, you'll get uh, access to the Discord channel. We just chat there. It, it's a great group, actually. I just commented in there today, like just an absolutely great group. A lot of respect in there. So you know, I had to take care of the channel members. There are questions from them, but also questions from the YouTube community subscribers. Hey, if you've subscribed to the channel, thank you so much. It helps. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to, this is going to be like live. I'm not going to edit anything out unless I just say something incredibly stupid, which has been known to happen from time to time. It's possible. Let's get right into it. The first question here is from Marco. Should I put my glasses on? I'll try not to. There's always a glare when I put my glasses on. But, uh, I'll put my glasses on just so I can read it a little better. All right. Marco asks, hey, teacher Brent, my question is, what is the difference in pronunciation between the words ice 
and eyes? That's a great question because they do sound very similar. And I almost think that at times we might pronounce them the same way, but let's use a couple uh, sentences so that you'll be able to hear the difference. I'll say it one more time. Ice, eyes. So maybe you want your drink to be a little colder. You might ask someone, do you have any ice? Do you have any ice? That will definitely make your drink colder. I think I did a lesson. Maybe I can link it up there about how it's only Americans that use ice in their drinks or mostly Americans. That might be a very American thing. Putting ice cubes into your drink to make it cooler. Ice. Eyes. As I get older, my eyes are not working as well. Therefore, I need to wear glasses. Sometimes when I'm reading. All right, Marco, thank you for the question. I hope that helped. Hope that helped. If not, you know, leave a comment in the in the bottom and uh, I'll try to answer it. All right, the next two are from channel members. So thank you. Amina has a great question here. Hello, Brent. What is an example of nepotism? Nepotism. That to me, that's just a fun word to say. Nepotism. But it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So think about this. Ooh, let's say the president. Very powerful person. Let's say the president, they get elected by the people. That's not nepotism. But let's say the president picks their son or their daughter for a high position. That is nepotism. Nepotism is when somebody gets a job or an advantage because of a family member. Yeah, so um, that happens from time to time. It's frowned upon in the United States. Frowned upon, meaning, you know, it might not be illegal. In some businesses, it is illegal, but it is definitely kind of looked down upon. It's frowned upon. You probably shouldn't do it. So anytime somebody gets a position or a job because of a family member, that is a perfect example of nepotism. Oh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Godfather. Not sure if you've ever seen it, but I would recommend it. Godfather, the original Godfather 2. Francis Ford Coppola is the director of those movies. The third Godfather, a lot of people don't like it as much as the first two. And one of the lead roles went to the director's daughter, Sofia Coppola. Many people think that she did not do a great job and that she only starred in that movie because she was the director's daughter. That's an example of nepotism. Again, pretty fun to say, nepotism. All right, Shevket. I hope I am pronouncing your name correctly, my friend from Turkey. Hey, Brent, what does it mean to say topsy-turvy? Thank you for your answer. This is a great one. Topsy-turvy. Top, also fun to say. Topsy-turvy. What makes me think of topsy-turvy, topsy-turvy, is if you take something and it's right side up 
and you turn it upside down. Often we will use this about people's lives. Now, let's say your life is going pretty well. I hope it is. But maybe, ooh, you lose your job. I could have picked something worse, but losing your job is really bad. That might cause your life to go topsy-turvy. It might turn your life upside down. It might just, you think everything is going really well one moment, and then it's not. So your life could be called topsy-turvy. It's just any time something is disrupted, anytime something goes away, you didn't think it would go, like in a major way, topsy-turvy. You might even say, oh, I'm feeling all topsy-turvy today. That would mean you're feeling out of sorts. It's another way to say that, out of sorts. But just uh, life threw you a curveball. I think I've done a, a lesson about that as well. Maybe I'll put that in the a link to that. But when life throws you a curveball, something unexpected happened. And if it's a bad thing, it topsy-turvy. Just everything is different. It's not the same way it was just a few moments ago. Mm. Think of upside down with that one. All right, Julia Olise, how are you? Hi, Brent. I have a question. Um, yeah, this phrase here, not enough room to swing a cat. Is that a common phrase or not? I have heard it, but I think I've only heard it since I began this YouTube channel about uh, a little over a year ago, year and year and a half ago. Um, it, it just sounds mean. You swing, like if you know baseball, you would swing a bat. You swing a bat to try to hit the ball. So it's a, I got a microphone here, but it's, it's a, it's like a hitting motion. Like you're um, often parents of little children might swing their children around, you know, play a little game with them. But my goodness, it doesn't sound very nice. If you're swinging a cat, I like, I, I know Americans do not use this. This might be a British term. I don't think Canadians use it. Who knows? Maybe Australians use it. I don't know. But when you hear that, it makes me think it's a very small space. For example, if you go to New York and you see many of the apartments there, they're very small because it's so expensive to live in New York. So if you go into a small apartment, you might say there's not enough room to swing a cat. Oh, but again, if you if you want to swing a cat, that's just it sounds very mean to me. So I know I know Julia would not do that. Julia seems very nice, but yeah, we don't use that term here. But I think I think that's what it means. All right, the next one, Linda. She is a channel member. Thank you so much. Um, this. This does not come from the Discord, but Discord uh, server, but members can ask questions in the Discord. We talk about them in there sometimes, but I think this comes from, it does, it comes from YouTube because she has a little, little token next to her name. It's like green, I think, even though I'm a little colorblind. I think that's green, greenish blue, maybe. Linda, sorry, Brent. I have another more important kind of question. When my dog goes, 
um, at the door and stares at me. I ask her, you got to pee? Uh, I shorten the phrase, have you got to pee? But is it correct to shorten it like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, some of you may know from, I think, last week's live stream, if you're watching this uh, when I put it out, which is in August of 2021, if you're watching it in 2022 or two t- 2023, I hope things are going well. But um, I just got a dog. And yeah, we often shorten things for our dogs. Um, sit. It's a common command. Stay. I think the fewer words you use with an animal, the better. You know, dogs are pretty smart and they can understand a lot. But yeah, I don't think you you, you need to use correct English with your dog. Um, yeah, got to go pee. Got to go pee. You know, it's that's fun to say too. You can probably get rid of the you. And I know in Italian, they get rid of that subject all the time. You got to go pee. Got to go pee. Pee, pee. You know? um, we also say, uh, do you have to go out? Do you want to go out? have to go out and we always raise our voice a little bit right and the dog like huh? Huh? dog does that yeah so um and we do that to, with with humans as well um i don't know if it's the next question but lucian has a question about this too maybe i'll do his next um but we often shorten things just because we're speaking with other people you know if it's two native english speakers speaking we will just smush our words together. So instead of saying, I don't know why you would say this to another human, but do you have to go pee? That would be odd. Hey, when you're leaving a restaurant, I don't, you don't ask your friends, Hey, do you need to use the bathroom? I don't, I don't think you would. I think that you just trust that your friend has to use the bathroom, but I'm going to use this example. I've never asked my friend if they have to pee, but let's pretend I do. Hey, do you need to go pee? And I hope they'll say, it's none of your business. Okay. But we can shorten it to, hey, you got to go pee? You need to go pee? Got to go? Got to go? So that G-O-T-T-O, got to, could become gotta. You got to go pee? G-O-T-T-A. It's not a real word but we often do that. I think I should make a video on that. Like have to, do you have to go pee? We often will just put have to, do you have to go pee? H A F T A. Maybe it's not a real word. So I don't know how you would spell it, but have to have to becomes have to let's look at Lucian's cause his is kind of related to this. And then I'll get back to the other question that I skipped. I'm sorry. Who did I skip? Katrina, I'll get back to you. I promise. But this is kind of related. Lucian, believe he's from Romania. Hi, Brent. I saw a lot of Americans pronouncing you as ya. You know, think about that right there. You, to make that O sound, it's a little bit harder. You know, it takes a little more work. So I think we often do that. We change the U to ya. For example, someone might say, how are you doing? You know, that could be very formal. And someone else could say, how are you doing? Why do Americans use ya instead of you? That's a great, it's a great question. But we would use that 
Um, again, because, you know, we're all speaking English. We're very comfortable with the language. So we don't feel like we need to pronounce everything perfectly. Our ears have heard English for so long that we just like, oh yeah, how you doing? How you doing? You doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. So we often do that. Like rarely will you hear an answer of yes. You'll often hear. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, no. You know, it's just, it takes a few milliseconds extra to curve your mouth. So we just say, nah, you want, do you have to go pee? Nah. Do you want to go pee? All right. Hopefully that helps, Lucian. Hope th- hope that helps. You know, I, I would say that Americans, you know, we're kind of lazy, but I think most languages, when you're speaking your native language and you're speaking to someone who also speaks your native language, I bet there are little things in Spanish or Romanian or Russian. It just, we, we our mouths just kind of, we relax a little bit and run our words together, change the vowel sounds to whatever's easier. Hope that helps. All right, back to Katrina's question. Another good one here. Thank you for the question, Katrina. Hi, Brent. I would like to know what the phrase, if you would, means and when to use it. Thanks. Yeah. Great question. It doesn't actually translate well, I don't think, but it's another polite way that we might ask a question, right? Let's say you're sitting on the couch and across the room is an open window where your friend is sitting and they might be sitting in a chair, but it's getting a little cold. You might ask, hey, if you would uh, close that window, please. It's another way to ask a question. It's, it's very polite. So if you would, can often be used at the beginning of a question. If you would uh, pass me that book, please. If you would pass me the salt. So just, just another way we would ask a question politely. Next one, Ario, Ario from Indonesia. I watched Avatar. I don't, The Legend of Korra. I don't know that one. I do know there's like a famous uh, movie, Avatar. Avatar, but I don't think that's it. Um, I don't remember the exact date. Uh, the character name Mako, that's a type of shark in English, by the way, Mako shark. Angry to Amon's subordinate said, uh, oh, where, okay, here's the, at the bottom right here, where are you keeping her versus where are you hiding her? All right. There's a little, little difference here. Okay. Where are you keeping her? It makes me think that that person like has kidnapped that other person. Okay. So where are you keeping her? It means like she is being forced to stay somewhere. If you say you're hiding someone, it might be for their protection. So that's an English, like how two verbs that almost mean the same thing would have a really different connotation. So um, I think it's illegal probably to keep somebody against their will to hold somebody, but where are you keeping her versus where are you hiding her? Keeping, you probably took her. Kidnapping, hiding, you're protecting her. 
All right. That's a very specific example, but I wanted um, people who are learning English to see that you could have two very similar verbs, almost the same, but underneath that connotation might mean very different things. All right. Thank you, Ario. Patty Candle from France. Um, this is another, oh yeah, pronunciation thing. Okay. Another, and I think I have a trick here to pronounce one of these very difficult words here. Um, hi, I would like to know how to pronounce certain plurals. So when Patty says plurals, you've probably studied English long enough to know that a plural is when you have more than one of something. So if you have one thing, it's singular. If you have two or more, it's plural. For example, we say places, places. So that's a, that's a, it's a little bounce at the end of that word places. Um, but we say clothes. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to like, look at clothes, clothes. When I'm, when I'm thinking about saying that word, it's so hard. Clothes. There's a, there's a TH there. And then there is an S clothes. Yep. So you know what? A lot of times I think we just pronounce it like clothes. Hey, where should I put my clothes? We don't even, we don't even like acknowledge. We don't even think about that TH there. We just, we pronounce it like, Hey, can you close the door? If you would close the door, close. Hey, where should I put my clothes? Do you have any extra clothes? I peed on myself. Why did I use that as an example? Peeing on yourself. A lot of, there's way more peeing in this uh, lesson than I thought there would be, but clothes, clothes. It, it's pronounced clothes, clothes, not easy. So again, Americans or probably the British too, Canadians, we just find easier ways to pronounce something. And I think instead of looking at that TH there, let's just make it an S. So clothes, your clothes. Hey, maybe I say to my children, I don't know. Why are your clothes all over the room? You know, I don't even put the TH there. So, oh, is it a rule? Because sometimes I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, and I know Patty, Patty is very good at English. Um, when you, when you hear rule and when you hear English together, it just doesn't make sense, right? We we don't have any rules in English. I mean, sometimes we do, but we, we break them all the time. Hope you've enjoyed this English lesson. If you're looking for more English, just take a look at that one right up there. That is when I jumped off a bridge and I was still able to teach English. Thanks for watching. See you next time. All right, we are live. What is going on? It's been a minute. It's been a minute since I've been able to go live. I've been a little busy making videos. I've been on some road trips, but we're here now. So I hope um, your English will be better later, one hour from now, because you'll be hearing a native English speaker speak. I will be answering your questions. That's the goal. Get your English to be a little bit better than it was when you first started watching. So towards the end, Jamie, my wife, and uh, some people are already saying hi to Jamie. Yawen, she will be here. She's not home right now.
Um, but she has a, well, there's a new addition to our family. If you are a member, you've already seen this new addition. I think on Instagram, he was on Instagram there too, but, um, we have, we have a new addition, not a baby, not a baby, but Patty from France is here. Ooh, she's got a kitty, kitty in her profile picture. Anya is here. Anya and I have been speaking on discord. She knows, she knows the surprise, probably not much of a surprise, but Angelo, how are you? Yeah, it feels good. feels good to be back here. Um, hopefully I can do this again next Saturday because I love, I love going live. It's a lot of fun. And Angelo lives in Cutter. And earlier this morning, I was busy getting ready for the live stream, but I saw a, a soccer, soccer game. The U.S. was playing Cutter. I think it was tied, tied. So Snazzy's here. Welcome. Hey, before we get too far, if you're watching on replay, I want to welcome you. If you're watching live, well, hello. And if you're watching on the podcast, that would be impossible because you can't watch on a podcast. But if you're listening on a podcast, then then you know, oh, semiconductor. Maybe you saw on Instagram. Yeah, the, the cat is out of the bag. That's an idiom we use when there's a secret that has been revealed. Yeah, the cat is out of the bag. Jamie will be bringing a dog on later. I see a woo. How are you? What? Is that an Italian flag, Alexandria? Well, welcome. Or, oppure benvenuto. Oppure benvenuta. Welcome. So I do see a question. That's the way this works, right? You ask questions. I do my best to answer them. Hopefully I get them right. But either way, you are getting more English into your brain because you are listening to a native English speaker speak hopefully clearly, and at a good pace for you. So IL says, hi, guys. Hi, Brent and Jamie. I have a question. Would you use the words belabored and commonality? Sure, sure. When we use belabored, if you look in the middle of that, there's labor in there. So when you hear labor, think of work. Um, let's say I was climbing a mountain, belabored, my breathing would be labored, meaning I have to work harder, belabored, belabored. I believe that is when you, I mean, I'm, I'm looking this up right now. Look at this. The first, the first question we have, and it's a difficult one. All right. So it looks like, you know, but the good thing is. I can share the screen. Let me share the screen and we can all look at the definition together for belabored. Um, let's see here. Can you see it now? Okay. Google. We're using Google. Google cannot be wrong, can it? No, I don't. Google is not wrong. So here we have um, belabor to argue or elaborate a subject in excessive detail. Okay. That probably helps absolutely nobody. That definition is so difficult, but a lot of times what you'll hear, let me write this down. Um, you will hear this phrase and 
change that right there. Belabored. That's the way we spell it in the United States. But the way VI spelled it is how you might see that in IL. Sorry. That's how you might see it in England. Belabored the point. It's very common. Belabored the point. And that means when two people are talking and there's a little bit of an argument or a disagreement, belaboring the point, it means like you can actually stop talking. You don't have to beat a dead horse. You might hear that sometimes belaboring the point and beating a dead horse are very similar. And that is when you are explaining something and it just doesn't need to be done anymore. So I'm hoping that you understand what belabored means, but I hope I'm not talking too much about belaboring. I'm hoping you are all saying, okay, I, I know what it means. You can move on. You don't have to beat a dead horse. Okay. I'm going to try not to beat a dead horse. What was the other one? It's another one. Oh, a commonality. So, um, when we use common often that is, um, being used as an adjective. So what do they have in common? What do they have in common? Um, it's describing how they feel with one another. Maybe they both like movies. So they have that in common. A commonality between the two of them would be that they like movies. I-L. That's a, that's a very difficult uh, question there. I hope I did well. Um, those two words are not all that common in English, but if you're in a, an advanced level, you might hear them. Commonality, but that that is a noun, a commonality. All right. Yeah. Semiconductor knows that it is a dog. It is a dog. What? Um, yeah, Yawen, please leave in the comments whatever you want to know about Hank the Tank. Yeah, he is our new puppy. Um, I did a members video. We were on the road. If you would like to become a member, join the Discord. There's a link up there. We talk all the time, uh, members videos. But yeah, we were on the road. We had to travel up to almost Canada, 15 minutes from the Canadian border. But later this week, there will be a lesson from the Canadian border. Another spoiler alert. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I was not able to cross into Canada. I did see a few cars crossing into Canada. Some people were crossing into Canada. But what happens is people who live on the border, they might live in Canada but work in the United States. So if it's for work, the border is open. If it's for goods going across the border, the border is open. Tourists, which is what I would be, a tourist, no, no. Can't cross, sir. Elena, good to see you in here. Mega, Mega's in here. Hope all is well in India. All right, this is a good question right here. Good question. What's the difference between jail, prison, penitentiary? Well, they all have one thing in common, and that is I do not ever want to go 
to any of them. Penitentiary, that's a fancy word for probably prison, probably prison. And we'll talk about what jail and prison, the difference is. But um, a penitentiary is just more of a general, this person did something wrong and they are being held in a cell. Usually we have like a jail cell or a prison cell. Cell is spelled like this. A jail cell or a prison cell. But there is a big difference between jail and prison. And let's talk about that. Hey, Ibrahim is here from Egypt. So let's talk about the difference between jail and prison. Jail is often not as bad as prison. Okay. Prison, most people go there for a long time. They might go there for life. They might go there for 10 years. Jail is usually the crime is not as bad and they will not be there as long. Okay. And that is the way we spell jail. They spell it a little bit differently in England. It starts with a G. I don't remember exactly how, but yeah. So I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Danny. Danny's here from France. Hopefully uh, everything is well in France. What's this, Ario? Ario's here from Indonesia. Welcome. I don't see what. I don't see her. Jojoba, how are you? Welcome. Oh, no, Anya. Anya's very busy as well, but uh, it looks like she has to leave. Maybe she's still here. Maybe she'll watch on replay, but I hope you're doing well, Anya. All right, um, Ario would like a little bit of a definition on dead horse. Um, all right, let's say Jamie and I were having an argument. My wife and I, we were having an argument. What could we argue about? Let's say, mm, let's say uh, uh, something, something dumb. How about where to go to eat? I use this a lot as a definition. Maybe I want Italian food. And maybe she wants Mexican food. And we're having an argument. Well, I want, I want Chinese food. Wait, wait. I want Mexican food. I want Italian food. And maybe I win. Maybe I get my way. I get my Italian. We go to one of the best Italian restaurants in the world, Olive Garden. Just kidding. Sorry to anyone who is Italian. Bad Italian food. But let's say we go to, we go to Olive Garden. I get my way. And if I say, oh, sorry, you, you, didn't get your, you didn't get your way, did you? You didn't get your way. And I rub it in. You know, that might be beating a dead horse. Anytime you are telling a person something they don't want to hear over and over, or you're explaining something way too much, that's, that's beating a dead horse. Like, okay, enough. You don't have to keep talking. You're beating a dead horse. Where Jamie will be here. She will be here toward the end. Ibrahim, what, am, am I not enough? Am I not enough? Yeah, I know. Jamie uh, is more popular than I am. And uh, she will be here. She's out working, actually. Um, but she should be here towards the end at about 10 o'clock. 
Yeah, this is a great question, Elena. Low key. Um, it's definitely become slang here. Um, is there a synonym? Um, maybe down low. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. Uh, I don't know if you can use it. That's a little bit older too, on the down low. Let's keep that on the down low. Um, so a lot of times, a love, oh, Sita loves Olive Garden. Well, Arroni, he is not here right now, but we often, uh, Luciano, how are you? We often um, badmouth. We often badmouth. I'm all over the place. Come on. I got to, I got to focus here. We often badmouth the Olive Garden because uh, it's not real Italian food, but all right. I don't know if Linda's here or not, but uh, it's not good. All right. Let me focus here. Focus, focus, low key. All right. That means when something is not obvious, that's not obvious. It's low key. So maybe you could use not obvious. Um, but a lot of times we'll say like that was a, a low key brag or a humble brag. If someone is saying good things about themselves, like maybe somebody just got a new car and it's like a beautiful new car. Maybe they got a Tesla. Is that a good car? Maybe they got a Tesla and they might just kind of brag kind of low key. Hey, I got a new car yesterday as Tesla. It's better than your car. I think. That would be a humble brag. That would be bragging like kind of low key. Like just, you didn't have to say that. So low key, it means not obvious, subtle. What's You know, I hate the way subtle. Look at this. How do, this is how we spell subtle. This is why people can't spell in English, including myself. Subtle. It has a B in it. Why? Subtle. Low key and subtle, I think you can uh, use that most times right there. Hey, Hiroki's here. Welcome. Hey, have I watched the 2020 Olympic Games? Ooh, hey, I did not make a lesson on the Olympic Games, but if you check out the channel, Bob the Canadian, he did a lesson last week and it is great. I watched the whole thing. Um, even though yesterday he did a lesson on something and said he didn't know much about the Olympic Games, I thought it was a fantastic lesson. So check out Bob the Canadian. He did a great lesson on that. While I'm plugging other channels, English Arts Academy with Karis, I will be live on that channel tomorrow. There is a link in the description for that. Check it out. Check it out. Okay. Okay. Yawin. Yes. Why did we have to go to the border of Canada? Almost a five hour drive away from our house to get Hank. So Hank is a kind of a special breed. Um, I just sniffed for a reason. I have allergies and I didn't want a dog, but I had allergies. So my wife and kids tried to get a dog that was kind of small, wouldn't shed a lot, and would be hypoallergenic. That means people who have allergies, like myself, 
would not be allergic to this dog. So he's kind of a special breed and the breed is what we use when we talk about types of dogs. So he is a special breed that is hypoallergenic. Some big, some big English words there, right? But when you see him, I mean, this guy's adorable, I think. Germany. Germany is in the house. Um, the other question, though, was have I watched the games? I have a little bit. I watched, um, sorry, if anyone is watching from the Netherlands. But yesterday, my son and I, we watched soccer. You may call it football. But the U.S. women's team was playing the Netherlands and they went to penalty kicks and somehow the U.S. women won. Somehow. I don't know how. And um, somebody shared in the the Discord server um, about a 13-year-old skateboarder. I think she was from Japan. She won the gold medal. That's insane. That's awesome. Uh, good question. Fabio, good question or good suggestion. Um, I would like to read a book in English. I know you like reading Stephen King books. And so do I. Which of his books would you recommend to me? Um, man, I can't get up right now. But um, in the past, I have recommended two books. I am trying to read them in Italian right now, but taking me a long time. I'm reading some other things in Italian, but I would say one is The Long Walk. Now, a great thing about this Stephen King book is that it's not too long. It's not too long. Um, maybe 250 pages. And when we are talking Stephen King, that's kind of short. Um, and there will be a movie coming out um, about the long walk. Another one that I really like is the green mile. So I don't think these are very easy at all, but I know that your level is pretty high in English. So I would think that you could, you know, maybe struggle a little bit, but you could get through it. Uh, my friend there, Aroni, um, he read the long walk and he liked it. It takes place in the 1970s, but uh, it's awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. What? Angelo. The Philippines? The first gold since... Oh, the first gold in the 96 years of the Olympics. Congratulations. Go Philippines. Nicely done. Um. Okay, great. Shea, this is great. Yes, you can't. Oh, no. Okay. Can I say, I low-key like this dress. It actually means you like it, but you don't want too many other people to know that. Maybe you feel good when you wear it. Maybe you think it looks good on you, but you don't want to brag in that way. You, you might say to yourself, like, I, I low-key like this dress. Or you might say it to a really close friend, like, I low-key like this dress. I think it looks good on me. Yeah. So that it's kind of the opposite. You just, you say you like it, but you don't want other people to know you like it. Yeah. Or maybe there's a car that you really like, but you can't afford. 
So you don't want to tell a lot of people you like it. You just might tell a good friend, man, I low-key like that car. Mm, I wish I could afford it. Wish I could afford it. Yeah. Karis is great. Um, that's why I wanted to do a collab with her. Um, I'm very picky about who I do collabs with. I don't, I have been asked by other teachers and when I watch their stuff, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't want to ever steer you in the wrong direction. So anytime you see another teacher on this channel, it means I think they would be a good fit for you. Um, it means I think what they present is good. And I think Karis is one of the good ones out there. She's very good. So if you aren't following English Arts Academy with Karis, you should. She's great. So I'm, you know, American English. She's British. And tomorrow we're going to talk about some different slang words in the U.S., um, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about how I became a teacher. Stuff like that. Okay, Ibrahim. I know. Ibrahim, Ibrahim uh, was one of my first subscribers way back in the day. So, yeah. Yeah, Jamie will be here. Jamie will be here. I was just messing with you. Just giving you a hard time. Looking through. I If I, if I missed a question... Um, please put it in again. Thank you for not spamming. Um, I don't think we have any moderators here, so it's just me. If you spam, you would make my life more difficult. And thank you for not spamming. All right. The next one. Loki. Yes. Yes. So if anybody is watching the Disney series, it might be done now, but Loki it's, it's really close. Like it's pretty much the same low key, low key. So the O might be longer for low key, not the person, but it's like, yeah, pretty much the same, pretty much the same grammar question. Oh, no, never mind. Grammar. No way. Okay. Hang on. Let me look grammar. Maybe. Okay. We'll, we'll do a little grammar. Most people get tired when I talk about grammar. They click off. Bye-bye. Okay, here we go. Marciposa, 50. A grammar question. When do you use have to and when do you use must? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, in the United States, might be different in England. I think it is. But if you say, let's talk about cleaning. You, you probably hate cleaning, right? If anybody here in the chat loves cleaning, can you just put that? Hey, I love cleaning. I, I don't think many people love cleaning unless you're Monica from Friends. Let's use that as an example. I have to clean my room today. It's like, yeah, I, I, I should. I probably will clean my room. Should. That's... I did a lesson on that last year. I need to do another on should. So I have to clean my room today. It means, you know, I, I should do it. I probably will do it. I must clean my room today. It's a little bit more urgent. It's a little bit more important when you say I must, I must do something. 
Most of the time in the United States, you'll hear have to. And you know what? We don't say have to. We say have to. Have to. I have to clean my room. I have to clean my room. But if I say I must, it's a little bit more important. Hope that helps. Great question. Great question. All right, here we go. Sita. Sita, question. Please teach me how to use the expression colors and shades in some sentences. I'll do shadowing with your examples. Oh, no. I don't think we have the expression colors and shades. And the way that is written, that's actually British too. So I'm not sure if that is um, a British expression, but I can explain what colors and shades are in English, but I don't think we have the expression colors and shades, not in American English. But let's talk about what a color is. And I'm kind of colorblind, but let me take my, uh, my StreamYard mug here. All right, so clearly that's yellow, right? And that's green, I think, I'm pretty sure. But if you look, if you look around his eyes, that's a different shade of green. So the duck, his head, it's green, but you can see there's a lighter shade of green around his eyes. So we will use colors more broadly, like that's green, but a shade would be a little bit lighter or a little bit darker. Okay. So I hope that I hope that helps. If, if not, let me explain it again. But um, a color, there's a bigger difference with color than shade. So we say green, but shades will be just a little bit lighter or a little bit darker. Yeah, Mega. Yeah, my kid's wish is fulfilled of having a dog. And I hope they like that dog. You know, my worry is they get the dog. We've had the dog for two days. Oh, they love the dog now. But in two weeks, in two months, are they going to still love the dog? Or is it me that's taking the dog out when it needs to use the bathroom? Oh, dad will do it. They love the dog now. They love the dog now. All right, Luciano. Welcome, my friend. What's the difference between blackout and to give up? Great question. Great question. Um, there is a difference. There is a difference. So uh, I hope you, you know, I don't, well, do what you want, but if you drink a lot, and I'm talking about alcoholic drinks, if you drink a lot and you get so drunk that you pass out, and what I mean by that is you go to sleep and you can't be woken up, that's you're passed out. But we might also say you're blackout drunk, blackout drunk. When you blackout, it means you lose consciousness. It's a big word there, but you're not awake anymore. I think I did um, a, a, a lesson on blackout and pass out. So blackout, it means you're just, you're sleeping and you can't be woken up. You're not dead, but maybe you... Um, a friend of mine has a condition where every couple of years she will just black out and the doctors don't know why, 
Luckily, it has never happened while she's been driving, but she'll just black out. And then she'll wake up and and she won't know what happened. Now, give up, it means when you stop doing something. Now, I hope you never give up on learning English. And I know a lot of you, I see Angelo, Sita, Mega, I've talked to them, you know, on chats before with video. I know they will never give up. They have been learning for a long time. Their English is very good. But when you give up, it means you stop doing it. So I hope to never give up these live streams. I want to keep doing them until we're all here. Okay. That's the plan. We'll keep doing live streams. All right. What happened? Brazil won the silver medal on skateboarding. All right. Nice. Yeah. Those skateboarders, they all seem to be very young. I don't think a guy like me at 45 could skateboard, but there is an American guy. What's his name? One of the early skateboarders. I think he's my age. He's still crushing it. He's still doing well. He doesn't compete, but he's doing well. What's his name? The skateboarder guy. I can't remember. All right. Marcy Poza says the long walk is great. You read it in English. Wow. Your English level must be really high. So anyone that reads the long walk, just remember it takes place during the 1970s. So there will be a lot of older United States slang, but great book. If you are familiar with the hunger games, it's like the early hunger games. I don't want to spoil what happens, but yeah. So nevermore. What about the novel, the 1984 novel? It's good. Yeah. Um, man, Orwell, right? Um, what's his first name? George Orwell. George Orwell wrote 1984. Yes. That is a novel that a lot of people in high school still read today, and it is supposed to take place in the future. I think it was written in the 1950s, so 1984 was in the future for when this was written. So maybe think about 2084, like that's the real year, but an amazing book, still important today. It talks about Big Brother. Big Brother. How I'm not talking about the TV show. Hey, Adriana's here. Maria's here. Welcome. Poland and Argentina are represented. Um, 1984 talks about how Big Brother might always be listening to us, might always be watching us. So Big Brother might be the government or it might be our phones. Um, I recently got a dog. I've been talking about dog stuff, dog toys, dog food. And guess what? Suddenly on my phone, I'm getting ads about dog food. I think Big Brother's listening to me. So yeah, 1984 is a great book. 1984 is a great book. Whoa, Sunshine's here. Hey, Armenia. Hope all is well in Armenia. All right, I am looking through the questions here. Give me a second, Adriana. Welcome. Wait, what? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Adriana's coming in early here. Um, coming in hot. 
if I'm not wrong, the book 50 shades of gray, right? I think it was a really bad movie. I know that, um, it was popular with some women, maybe some guys too, but I remember, uh, 10 years ago, 50 shades of gray was a very popular. Yeah. Good color. I mean, good call. Sorry. Katrina, there are base colors. Yes. Excellent. Look, take a look at Katrina's quote because it's perfect. Think of the colors of the rainbow. We might call those the base colors. You got your orange, you got your yellow, you got your green. And then there's little shades in between. Little shades in between. All right, let's see. Hiroki. Brent, I talked to an African woman from South Africa in English on this Wednesday. I was anxious whilst speaking to her. Nevertheless, I made my efforts to speak clear and louder. Hiroki, that is so important. Nicely done. And I keep saying I want to do um, a lesson on how to find a language partner. And it looks like Hiroki found one, which is great in South Africa. There is a slightly different accent between South African English and American English, but we can all understand each other. So yeah, awesome. If you've ever heard Elon Musk talk in English, he has a South African accent. My favorite band, Dave Matthews band, the lead singer, Dave Matthews, he is from South Africa. So very similar English and awesome. And Hiroki, um, her native language is Japanese. There are a lot of English speakers who would like to learn Japanese. So finding a language partner, if your native language is Japanese, would be easier than if your native language was Armenian. Let's use Sunshine as an example. You know, not as many speakers are looking to learn Armenian. It's a smaller language. So depending on what your native language is, it might be harder for you. Hey, chill. You're not late. It's all right. We're, we're about halfway through. We're about halfway through. Brent, we Japanese Olympic players will win gold medals to show you that we can make it. Yes. Hey, Japan is doing a great job hosting the Olympics. I think they are doing a fantastic job. I see Mio is here. So if you are watching from Japan, you should be very proud of your country. Well done. Well done. Yeah, Katrina. Hey, thanks. Katrina is helping me out. Must. It's almost like a rule. Yeah, it's like, it's, I must do my homework today. I need to finish my project. I have to finish my project. Must. It's a little higher, a little higher. Angelo says he loves grammar. Good. Glad. Glad. All right. Oh, no. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, in the United States, um, I don't think it is illegal to record the police. It's not illegal to record anybody in public. Um, under 18, it gets a little bit tricky. Um, in my video yesterday with the roller coaster ride, like I taught an English lesson on a roller coaster. It wasn't easy. And when I flashed to the front 
flashed means very quickly. When I flashed to the front of the roller coaster, there were kids in there for like a minute, like, well, like a second or so. Um, but if a person under 18 was being recorded on my video or on my lesson and they were the main part of the video, it gets a little tricky when they're under 18. But in public in the United States, you can pretty much record anybody. And if they're over 18, no problem. It gets tricky when you go into a private place like a 7-Eleven. Yes, 7-Eleven, it's a public store, but it's owned by other people. So they might say, you can't record here, which they did. Um, semiconductor devices. Why many Americans keep camera recordings in their cars? I've whacked a guy arguing with a policeman. And the police recognized that they were being recorded. Yeah, so, I mean, that might be just a little bit of um, security for them so that there is some evidence if the police got too rough with them, they could say, hey, you're being recorded right now. And you do not have to tell people that they're being recorded in public. If I was talking on the phone with a friend and I wanted to record our conversation, I would have to let them know. Because when you're on the phone, you are thinking that is private. So there are strange rules in the United States about recording, but all right, let me skip down. I am going to work my way through. Oh yeah, Sunshine says that about Armenian. Yeah, it's just a, a smaller language. You know, Greek would be a smaller language, Albanian. But if you are a Spanish speaker, if you are a French speaker, if you are a Japanese speaker, if you are a Chinese speaker, like Cantonese, probably going to be easier. Portuguese maybe too. Portuguese. Ah, Miho. What's the difference between stoic and strict? Ah, great question. So if somebody is stoic, it means they don't show a lot of emotion. And maybe they are wise. Often when I hear stoic, I think of wise. So an older person who doesn't talk a lot, but is smart, could be described as a stoic person. Now, strict, that means they follow the rules. So if I was a strict teacher, and I think I am a pretty strict teacher, we want people following the rules, strict. I want people to be safe in my classroom. So I might be a little strict. I, can, I think I can have some fun too. But strict means they want people to follow the rules. And then stoic, a little quieter, but wise. Hope that helps. Um, that's a great question, Sunshine. Nomad and migrant. Which is more common to use? Right, so both words mean someone who moves around a lot. Someone who moves around a lot. The difference is a migrant is probably working. 
we often have the term migrant worker. And what a migrant worker does is they move around the country and whichever vegetable is ready to be picked, they are in that part of the country. So maybe they are in my state of Maine right now because, or soon, apples need to be picked. But maybe when it's winter here, they will move to work in California where there will be vegetables to pick there. A nomad doesn't really have a purpose. It's just a person who wanders, probably not working, probably doesn't know where they're going. I mean, not always, but that's the main difference. In the United States, you will hear migrant way more often. Migrant. Okay. Ooh. Alan, welcome. Welcome. Hello, Mr. Brent. Could you tell me the difference between compliment? It's compliment, right? Compliment, pleasantries, and courtesy. Well, all of them are really, really nice. Okay. All of them are really, really nice. So if you pay somebody a compliment, right? It means you say a nice thing about them. And we often use that verb, pay someone a compliment. Oh, that dress looks really nice on you today. I am paying that person a compliment. Often you will exchange pleasantries. Exchange pleasantries. If you exchange pleasantries with someone, just means you say nice things back and forth to each other. Oh, hey, how are you? How have you been? Oh, I've been doing really well. So when you first meet someone after a long time, maybe you haven't seen this friend in a while, you might exchange pleasantries right when you see each other. And then courtesy, that's just another way to be polite. Okay. You might extend a courtesy to somebody. So maybe you open the door for another person. You let them go ahead of you. Americans do that all of the time. You know, if I'm not in a hurry and I think somebody might be working, but we're both going into 7-Eleven, I might say, oh, after you, after you. And that would just be a, a courtesy. I would uh, extend a courtesy to them. So they're all very close, aren't they? They're all very close. And I think they are all nouns. So I was going to try to say, well, one's maybe one's a verb, but I think they're all nouns. Wait, Minty. Are you serious? Big brother? Are they watching right now? I need to be careful what I say then. Anita, how are you? Welcome. Looking through the chat. Nice to see. Tony Hawk. Alina, thank you so much. Tony Hawk is the guy. He's about my age. I'm 45. He might be a little older, actually. And he was uh, kind of the first really big skateboarder, I think, in the 80s, 1980s. Get a little, get a little drink here. Hydrate. Ah, better. Let's see here. Looking for some more questions. Oh, okay. Maria, how are you? Hey, there will be a members chat on the Discord channel tomorrow, 9 o'clock. Maria's in there almost all the time. I think 
Mega said uh, she was busy last week. I was busy last week too. Um, but there usually is a members chat on the Discord server once a week. Practice your speaking if you would like to become a member. Hey, Brent. Question. What would be the difference between to steam up, oh, to fog up, referring to glass, yet nothing? Yeah, nothing. Those are both very common. So I am wearing glasses right now. I hope there isn't a glare. If there is a glare, that means there's something bright in my sun and in my glasses because of the lights. But sometimes if I'm wearing glasses outside, I usually only wear them to read. Uh, they might fog up or they might steam up, which means you, you can't see through them. They mean the same thing. A lot of times when you're sitting in a car and you're just waiting, you know, the windows might fog up or they might steam up. Actually, in that way, good question. I would not say steam up. I mean, I'm thinking now steam up. We often use only in the bathroom. Actually, when you're taking a shower, Maria, great question. I know, I thought we use them the same way. We don't, I guess steam up your shower. Most people have a shower and a mirror in their bathroom. Yeah. The mirror, it, it steamed up because of your hot shower. If you're sitting in a car, would say fogged up. Hmm, good question. It's actually making me think today. English. It's so tough, right? I'm sure most languages have those little differences there. So they, they both mean pretty much the same, but I think we do use them slightly different ways. Steam up, bathroom, fog up, pretty much anywhere else. Yeah. The steam from the water that's what, that's what we call it. When the, when the water is warm, you can see steam coming off. Maybe I need to make a video on that. Maybe put that uh, as a short on the other channel because it's, it's not as easy as I thought. Maria, thank you. Thank you. Amina is here. Amina is here. Amina dropped a super chat before we got started. Thank you so much for that super chat. What do I have? I got, I got to do this for for her. I think I have a little super chat thing here. Oh, thank you so much for the super chat. Yeah. So nice. Amina. you don't have to do it, but it's always so nice. Um, I'm going to have a, a website pretty soon. Um, just to, um, steer people in the direction of, uh, and that's going to help out. Thank you so much. Famous scene from the Titanic. Hey, I think Jamie's here. Yeah, that's when, um, what's her name? Rose and Jack. Like there's enough room on that door, right? There's enough room on the door. He could have just like got on there with her. All right. Um, I think, I don't know how this microphone's going to work, but we do have a, we do have a puppy coming in. Jamie's coming in right now. All right. You want to, we only, we only have one microphone though. Uh oh, she's leaving for some reason. And then she left. We have, uh oh. Some, I don't know what's more important than this live chat, but something probably something with the kids. What Aroni is here. Aroni has a YouTube channel that he teaches English on. Can you hear the Can you hear the door that was left open? 
there's a uh we have a, a dehumidifier running hang on just a second she must have had a very important phone call it seems like she's on the uh on the phone what's more important than this live stream though come on come on all right angelo hey yeah it's been a while since uh, uh i've talked to angelo so i don't ario i don't know what harvest moon is i don't crying i'm sorry ario i don't know what harvest moon is is it a book um mio says that she enjoys watching the olympics every day i try to catch up with the olympics at night when you catch up means you might have missed something but then you try to get all of the information later so maybe you're not on this live stream right now maybe you're watching it on replay maybe you're catching up with it on replay oh mina has to go already but again amina thank you so much for the super chat revealed we how are you we lives in new york not too far from me. All right. I see a couple other questions too. Good. We got this. We got this, Patty. I see you. And uh, Conlin, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Be right there. So revealed. Revealed. It means something was secret and now you can see it or now you know it. So let's talk about Hank. If you haven't, oh, he's coming. So in a second, we are going to reveal our new puppy. So maybe you haven't seen him before, but you will suddenly see him now. I think he's ready. Or at least Jamie's ready to bring him over. Who knows what's going to happen? In English, we say never work with children or animals. And we'll see what happens here. I got to move over. All right, there's. Oh, it's right at the top. Oh, yeah. right at the top there. There he is. Say hi. <laughs> you see yourself? <laughs> so there's Hank. Want... Yeah, do you want to say? I, I've been talking the whole time. That some people have been asking about you. So um, if you want to get on, I'll back off here. Hi, everyone. Long time no see. Um, we were supposed to go to a birthday party today, but that's what just happened. It just got canceled. Oh. So. Why did you cancel? Um, he woke up sick. Our nephew woke up sick. That's who we were celebrating today. So that's why I couldn't come on as I was getting the phone call that it was canceled. So, oh. yeah. Sick with COVID? No. I don't okay. think you're supposed to say that word. Oh, I just got demonetized. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear us okay? Yeah. The The great thing about this microphone, thank you. If you're a channel member, you helped. Uh, you help, Oh, my gosh. I missed some. I missed some. Some super stickers. And so and we got a new channel member. Hang on. Oh, We're, nice. Hey, new channel member. Well, is it because of Hank? Is it because of Hank? Oh, goodness. Yeah, Hank is a frog. So let me just put this here. Boom. New member. Make sure you check the members tab for the Discord, the members chat, and the bonus videos. All right, that, and then thank you, Yawin, for the super chat. Oh, thank you so much for the super chat. All right, if, if it's because of Hank, Hank will come on every time. Yeah, channel <laughs> members. And uh, there, is a, uh, there is a video about Hank uh, for channel members. So 
Want to take a couple of questions, Jamie? Yes, I don't have my glasses on. So. Okay. Luckily, I have Actually, my glasses. Pretty What's big that? today. Yeah. Luckily. Chat. Um, no, so Luciano um, is already making fun of me <laughs> that my, uh, my wife is out of my league. That is correct. That is correct. So if you look at me, you know, not not anything to brag about, not a great looking mm. guy. But then, uh, you know, Jamie, she she's 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 better looking than I am. That's what we talk about. Yeah. Angelo says Brent has dog allergies. That is correct. That is correct. The good. Is this even working anymore? Can you hear? Me? I can hear myself a little bit. The good thing about um, Hank is that he doesn't shed. So his his fur doesn't get on our clothing more than my hair. My hair is falling out. But my hair or Hank's hair is about the same. So I haven't noticed that I've been uh, any more allergic than usual. So, yeah, not too bad. Oh, yeah. Now, Yawin. Didn't have to do that again, but thank you so much. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much for the super chat. That is very nice. Yawin, actually, um, I made a video with Yawin. Uh, she gave me a bunch of information about what happens in Taiwan, and I compared it to what happens here in the United States. Let's see. Oh, lots of lots of uh, mm. lots of love for Hank. Thank you. Lots of love for Hank. He is adorable. All right. Um. Th so. Uh, so Patty, um, maybe Jamie can answer this, but um, when we talk about dogs, we talk about their breed, their breed. So it's really close to brand. It's a, the dog's breed. And so Jamie will talk a little bit about breed. Um, I don't know how it works in other languages though, but Jamie's going to talk a little bit about the dog's breed, about Hank's breed. Yeah. So um, Hank is a first generation, what we call a frog. F-R-U-G. Um, so he is, his dad was a French bulldog, which is a relatively small dog. And his mother was a pug. Um, so he's a frog. They just put those two together. Um, she, he was the first breed that the breeder had, had done. Um, and he's... The microphone's oh, right away. There we go. I'll put him over here. <laughs> he is not going to get very big. He might get up to 15 pounds. Um, but we, we plan on feeding him correctly so that he doesn't, you know, get overweight and things like that. Um, so yeah, he's a frog. Breezy. Breezy there. Oh, hey, Breezy. Angelo. Hey, thank you so much. This is for you. Hey, thank you so much for the super chat. Cutter. Cutter is getting big. They're going to be hosting the uh, World Cup. Oh, nice. We've watched a lot of soccer in our house a, a lot. lot. And now Cutter has super chats. So that's awesome. Nice. Um, yeah, Ario. Yeah, sorry. I forgot about the, uh, the game, Harvest Moon. I did forget about that. Adriana from Poland was wondering, how old is that puppy? So he turned eight weeks on Wednesday, and here in America, the breeder is not allowed to turn the puppy over to the owners until they are eight weeks old. Um, they can't be taken away from their mothers until then. So we got him right when he turned eight weeks. Yeah. So he's a little over eight weeks. 
You're welcome, Patty. All right. Let's see, any more dog dog chat? Yeah. Um. Let's see. Oh, is it Hamza? I've I've had uh, I've had students named Hamza before. So yeah, make sure you check the members tab, and then you can see the uh, the Discord, and then join us tomorrow for the uh, the uh, the chat. Oh man. Nice to see you, Ibrahim. Omega, thank you so much. This is for you. Oh, thank you so much for the super chat. That is very generous. Hank, what's up, buddy? Huh? I think he might be tired. Is he just waking up or did he? Um, Well, he had a nap and then he played quite a bit outside and then he's probably getting ready to go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. That's that's when I like Hank the best, when he's about to go to sleep and he will uh, cuddle. When anytime somebody like he's cuddling with Jamie right now, getting close, you know, he's a good puppy. He's a good puppy. He's a very good puppy so far. Yeah. Uh, let's see, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice, but uh, they got it's their dog. I just live here. Aroni, don't let him fool you. He really likes him. I, I'll tell you a quick story. Me and the kids have been laughing about this. So the other day I went and got his food for dinner and Hank was with me. The first person down to the garage was Brent. He usually comes to the garage to see if he, he can help and do anything. But he didn't go for the food. He came to get Hank out of the car to see Hank. Yeah, he, I, I just wanted to make sure that you had enough hands that you didn't have to get the groceries and the dog. The dog was just lighter. He was just lighter. Hank was just lighter. Um, yeah, so maybe, yeah, with the dog breeds, Angelo, it's a little bit tough. He is part pug and he's part French bulldog. So I'm sure in France, they don't call it a French bulldog, but that's what we call it in, in English. So, yeah. I have, I have talked about pets. Um, I do have a, a quick video on the names of baby animals in English. So baby dogs, we call them puppies, puppies. Yeah, he, he is really, really calm. Now, when he wakes up from this nap, he will not be calm. He, we call them in uh, America, dogs get what we call zoomies. Um, where they zoom back and forth at the, around the house once they wake up, just smelling everybody. He just goes crazy. Um, he's good for about an hour, and then he goes back to sleep. So this is really a breed that's, um, we call it a lap dog. So he's not going to be like a dog that's going to play fetch a lot or things like that. He'll lay with us and snuggle. So he's going to be a lap dog. Yeah, and, and your lap is when you sit down. And it's that place where like a baby could sit or a child could sit their lap. So um, Hank is not in Jamie's lap right now. He's probably would say on her chest. But if he was a little lower, he would just hang out on your lap. Um, if you want to know um, a really big English word, it's brachiocephalic. Brachiocephalic. And that that's what it means. His nose is pushed in. So he will sometimes snort and grunt. French bulldogs do that. Uh, pugs do that. They don't breathe really well. So he is never going to be that crazy. He was built for sitting in someone's lap pretty much. He was bred to 
I don't even know what this means. He was bred to be someone's, um, what is, oh, okay, okay. That is great. I know exactly what that means in English, but we do not have that term in English. But I like that. I really, really like that. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, that we're probably co-heads of the family. Co meaning we work together, like ideally, ideally. Hey, yeah, um, Bob the Canadian has a dog. Hank the American, Oscar the Canadian. Hey, um, I don't know who would be the winner. If um, Hank is so small, I think, but Oscar looks really gentle. So I don't think he would, I don't think he would bother. I think they would be really good friends. Um, Oscar the Canadian does have an Instagram and uh, we call him Hank the Tank. He does have an Instagram if you want to check it out. Is it Hank the Tank? No, what? it's Frog Life with Hank. Okay. Frog Life with Hank. All right. I would, uh, Luciano, why don't you take a trip to JFK Space Center with your family? Show us the museum. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Is that the JFK? That's in Florida, I think, right? The JFK sure. one is in Florida. If I had more time in Washington, D.C., I would have liked to go, have gone to the Smithsonian's. There is an air and space museum there. We've been many times. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. Uh, Maria, is Hank's breed one of those that don't get too big when they grow up? Yes. Let's see. You said uh, 15 pounds, right? Yeah. So he's he is going to get okay, bigger so than this. How many kilograms is 15 pounds? But he will, um, he'll grow taller, but he's not going to weigh too, too much more than what he does now. Uh, I think that ha is how people uh, measure, like we say pounds, but uh, about seven, seven kilos. I think he'll, he'll be, he'll be pretty small. He'll be pretty small. Yeah. He looks like he's uh, going to sleep. I think so. Yes. Pugs known for sleeping. He does like to sleep. He's been very, very good at night. We were crate training him, so he sleeps in a crate at night. Um, he cries very, very little when he first goes in. He has a little bear that smells like his mother um, that the breeder gave to us, and um, and he does very, very well. All right, the last baby of a family always has hairs, huh? I don't know what that always has the hair. Well, he definitely is the, the baby. And uh, I think in, in the United States, we might say he's going to be spoiled. So everyone will be uh, looking after him. It's a phrasal verb there. Uh, everybody will be um, giving him a lot of attention. Maybe we'll say that. Yeah. All right. Any more questions? No, let's see. Um, have you ever heard the phrase put 11 men behind the ball? No, I have not. I have not. And I'm not sure if that refers to American football or soccer, but I have not heard that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, Ario, I wish that uh, Mr. Bob and I could get together. Where we went in northern Canada, it actually, or northern Maine, really close to the Canadian border. It's actually still really far from Bob the Canadian. 
He probably lives six, seven, eight hours from where we were. Canada is so big, so big. Yeah, Breezy, definitely want to go to a museum. And most museums will let you film, but not all of them, not all of them. All right, what do you say? We should wrap it up and get Hank, get <laughs> Hank in his bed. But thank you so much. Thank you to all the new members. Thank you so much for the super chat. Thank you so much for your questions. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, I will be on English Arts Academy with Karis tomorrow about this time. I think uh, like maybe one hour later. But I did leave a link in the description. Check that out. Anya, thank you so much. Thank you so much thank to all you, the channel members. Aroni for holding down the fort making sure uh, everyone gave great comments, no spamming. Thank you. It's it's the best audience ever. Thank you so much. We never get any spam. So thank you all for being so awesome. Mega, thank you. Yawen, thank you for your super chat. Angelo, thank you for the super chat. Amina, thank you so much for the super chat. And thank you all. Thank you all. We will see you later. Adios, amigo. In today's English lesson, I want to talk about three terms. Spitfire, lippy, and sassy. They all mean kind of the same thing. But before we talk about any of those three, I want to review the term connotation. So words can have a good connotation or they can have a bad connotation. If you look the word up, in the dictionary, you probably won't see the connotation. That comes from speakers using it year after year. Some words will develop a bad connotation when you say them, and some will develop a good connotation. Let's talk about the two words from this list that have a bad connotation. That is lippy and sassy, and they both mean about the same thing. If somebody is lippy, and we use this mostly for kids, same with sassy, it means they talk back. Well, that's an English phrasal verb. Maybe that doesn't help too much. So let's use it as an example. Maybe a parent will ask their child, hey, could you please clean your room? Like, that's very polite. Some parents aren't that polite. They might say, oh, Go clean your room. But let's pretend this parent is being very polite. Hey, could you please clean your room? If a child is lippy, they might say, won't you clean my room? Do it yourself. That's talking back. That's when the parent asks the child to do something and they have something smart to say. You might hear that as well. A smart mouth also is someone who is lippy. Before I forget, two things. If you are enjoying this lesson, maybe hit it with a thumbs up. And I would like to thank Nori for asking this question. Lippy, it actually comes from the, the lips talking back. Sassy, pretty much the same thing. It's when children are being disrespectful, talking back. If you are a parent, I hope you don't have a child that is lippy or sassy. Spitfire 
usually has a good connotation. Maybe you are a spitfire when it comes to learning English. You don't back down. You don't take no for an answer. If something is hard, you keep doing it. Spitfires often have a lot of energy. They have a lot of enthusiasm, kind of a big word, kind of tough to say. If somebody tells you, oh, you spend too much time studying English, you may say, no, I don't. I mean, you're being a little disrespectful, but you're standing up for yourself. Oh, so many English phrasal verbs, right? But you don't take no for an answer. If you don't know something, you are going to work really hard until you find it and you don't care if anyone has a problem with that. Sometimes you'll hear the term a real go-getter. Like they always have the energy to do the work. Think about someone who is growing up poor. They don't have a lot of money but they worked really hard to become maybe a lawyer that probably earns a lot of money. You could call that person a real spitfire, a real go-getter. They don't stop for anything until the job is done. Sometimes children who are spitfires, they could be a little sassy or a little lippy, but it's always in a good way. Maybe the adult says something wrong. Maybe they don't know a fact. Maybe they say, hey, guess what? In the United States, the most spoken language is Russian. Well, that would be wrong. I think most people would know that. But a Spitfire, now, they might be polite, but the child might say, no, I, I think you're wrong. It's actually English. So a Spitfire might not be afraid to talk to adults or correct them, but it's going to be in a polite way. To review, Spitfire, good. Lippy, sassy, bad. I hope you enjoyed this English lesson. If you're looking for more, right up there is a video I did about, I forgot what I wanted to say. Oh, all terms dealing with lip. No, not lip. We talked about lippy in this one. It's the other, the other lesson is with tongue. Thanks for watching. See you next time. In this English lesson, I want to give you two expressions native English speakers will often use when talking about how the brain thinks. The first one is, oh, the gears are already turning. Whenever you hear somebody talking about thinking and gears, we're talking about gears in the brain. Now, they don't actually exist, but older machines will often have gears, and when those things turn, it makes the machine run. Just like with our brain, when we're thinking of something, we might say, oh, the gears are turning. While I am filming this, it is summer, so I'm not working right now, but this morning, I talked with one of my colleagues, another teacher that I work with, and this person teaches history. I obviously teach English, but we were talking about some of the things we could work on this upcoming school year. And he said that he wants to do a unit on the American Revolution. That's a war we had with England a long, long time ago. But often, I will try to teach English lessons 
right along with how the history teacher is teaching whatever they are teaching. It's good for the students when two teachers can work on the same subject, even though we don't teach the same subject. When he said the American Revolution, I started thinking of ideas and I said, oh, that's perfect. The gears are already turning, which means I am already thinking of great things that I can do with my students when it comes to the American Revolution. Maybe you are in English class and the teacher says, hey, this Friday you have an assignment. You need to write a paper on something you did this weekend. And immediately you might say to yourself, oh, the gears are already turning. I know what I want to write. The next expression I want to teach you is, oh, I see the smoke. And I often say this to my students when I can see they are thinking about something really hard. So maybe I ask a really difficult question in class and I see a student going something like that. You can see the smoke. It's definitely a joke. There's no smoke coming out of their brain, obviously. But when I tell a person, hey, I see the smoke, that means they're thinking really hard. Or at least I think they're thinking really hard. Who knows? That student might not be thinking about English class. They might be thinking about a big date they have this weekend. But I often pretend they're thinking about my class. I hope this lesson helped. It was a little short. So if you're looking for more English, there's a, a video somewhere up there. I did all about how Americans talk about schools. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Don't laugh because I'm wearing dad shoes. They're blue, but I need to show you my shins. Did you notice I'm wearing a hockey shirt to talk about soccer? I mean, typical American. In this English lesson to help you improve your English, I am going to be talking about the terms and phrases Americans use when talking about soccer. Americans are often talking about how other teams have beaten us when we talk about soccer, but I think this lesson will really help you improve your English. But we won't just talk about vocabulary, we'll practice some shadowing and also those tricky things that all English learners have trouble with, English phrasal verbs. I know, an American talking about soccer, it's a little absurd. Now, I might not know the game as well as you know it, but I am going to focus on the English teacher part. I do know a lot about English, so I'm not gonna focus on the game of soccer or, or football. Maybe, maybe we should talk about that first. Most of the world calls it football, but in the United States and in Canada, I asked two friends, my sister-in-law, she's from Canada. She says they, uh, they call it soccer over there. She even says she has two friends who have moved from Spain and Italy to Canada. They also call it soccer now. And Bob the Canadian, you might know him, he says in his part of Canada, they also call it soccer. So I will call it soccer, but to you it's probably football. What if I told you Americans are actually really good at soccer. In fact, in some ways, we're the best at soccer. I mean, four World Cups? Pretty impressive, but, but more on that later. The first term we should talk about is where do you actually play the game? Well, I'm not sure if you can tell, I'm on a soccer field right now. If you go to England, 
In English, you might hear it called a pitch, but in the United States, it's a soccer field. In the United States, pitch is something else. It's a verb we use when talking about baseball or softball. They both have pitchers and they're the people who throw the ball really fast. In other words, they pitch the ball. You know that game, American football? In the United States, we just call it football. Well, this is also a football field. So it can be a soccer field on some days, or you can play football on it other days. If you come to a soccer game, you're probably going to be called a fan or a spectator. And spectators sit in the stands. We call these things stands, they have seats, and you're probably a fan of a soccer team. Like right now, while I'm recording this, the Euro is going on and also the Copa. And I do have teams that I am rooting for or that I am going for. That's what you can call, um, if you're a fan of a team, you root for that team or you go for that team. There are two teams, one in the Copa and one in the Euro that I am going for. But I don't want to make any viewers mad, so I am not going to say those two teams. Maybe you can guess the two teams in the comments or put your favorite team in the comments and maybe you'll find a fan of the team that you root for. If you're a fan sitting in the stands and you like what's going on, you can cheer, you can yell. If you don't like what's going on, at least in the United States, we boo. Boo. If you don't like a call, we'll talk about ref in a minute. If you don't like the way the referee called the game, you can boo. Now, I think in Europe, they don't boo, they whistle. And that's something Americans don't do very often is whistle when there is a bad call by the referee. You know the person who, I think they wear yellow quite a bit, their jersey, is yellow, they have a whistle, they blow a whistle, they make sure everyone is following the rules. Well, that's a referee, but nobody actually calls that person a referee. We often say ref. If you don't like the referee, you can say that ref sucked. And practice that, that ref sucked. Here's some more shadowing practice. The referee blew his whistle. The referee blew his whistle. For the next set of vocabulary words, let's go down to the soccer net and talk about things that happen down there. Yeah, so this thing is called either a soccer net or a soccer goal. And right up here, Sometimes the ball will hit off this thing, like way up there, right up there. The thing is called a crossbar. So we can practice that shadowing there and use a phrasal verb. Sometimes the ball will hit off the crossbar. Sometimes the ball will hit off the crossbar. For anyone who is new to shadowing, what you can do is listen to the way I pronounce that sentence pause the video and try pronouncing it yourself. The player who stands near the net 
Sometimes they wear a different jersey. We call them the goalkeeper or sometimes the goalie. Did you notice I'm wearing a hockey shirt to talk about soccer? I mean, typical American. Do you know when a player scores for their own team, the ball accidentally goes into their own net or their own goal? That's what we call it. We call it an own goal, own goal. Do you wanna learn uh, an advanced verb for hits off? Instead of saying the ball hits off the crossbar, we could say the ball grazed the crossbar. Grazed, it means it just touches it and kind of bounces off. You might hear graze in a different way, like when cows graze in a field, means they're just hanging out and eating, but it's probably a different video for that one. Right now, I'm walking towards the middle of the field, and guess what we call that place? We call it the midfield. In many soccer fields, we'll have an emblem or a logo in the middle. Right now, I am standing on the logo. Next, I am going to walk over or I'm going to walk towards the scoreboard. And guess what the scoreboard does? It keeps the score of the game. Let's say there's a score in the game that, that looks like that. In England, they would say one nil, but in the United States, we would say one to zero or one to nothing. Now, the sun is not right here. Okay, now, it's better. You can see me better. Now, I'm walking backwards just because of the light, but I am walking backwards towards the sideline. It's what we call the side of the field, the sideline. And guess who stands here? Two types of people, the manager or the coach, that's the person who's in charge, or you might have the substitutes or the subs. Those are the people who come into the game later to give the other players a rest. Let's practice this sentence for shadowing. The substitute came into the game after halftime. In English, the game is separated into two halves. I know, when you put a plural on halves, it changes a little bit. Half, halves. There are two halves. The first half, the second half, and in the middle, we call that halftime. I can't do it because I'm an American and I can't play soccer, but you know when a player who's good can travel down the field, kicking the ball to himself or herself? We call that dribbling. And I'll put a video here of a soccer player who is able to dribble the ball. You know when a soccer player hits the ball with their head? We call that a header. There is a slang term for a header that you might hear, and that is when somebody falls and bumps their head. For example, he took a header off the stage, meaning he was on a stage, maybe speaking to an audience, and he fell off the stage, bumped his head, we say he took a header. If a player does something bad, it means they commit a foul. Maybe they tackle a player. That's when they slide in with their feet and try to get the ball, but they hit the player instead. Call that a tackle. It's a bad tackle. 
and they might get a yellow card or a red card. If a player touches the ball illegally with their hand, we call that a handball. And if a player falls down without getting touched and they make a big deal out of it, we say that they have, I was going to mess up the tense, I had to stop. They took a dive. They took a dive. We don't say dove for that. We say he took a dive or she took a dive. Yeah, it's kind of weird about that, but yeah, not, oh, he dove. No, he took a dive. For this next one, we're gonna learn a part of the body that you might not know. And don't laugh because I'm wearing dad shoes. They're blue, but I need to show you my shins. I couldn't find a video where they showed shins. So I'm gonna show you my shins and I'm gonna talk about some equipment that soccer players will wear to protect their shins. Okay, so don't laugh. Here are my shins. You see them? That, this part right here, that's my shin. And if you notice, probably your shin, it's just like skin and then bone. Something kind of gross to think about. But that's why players will wear what we call shin guards to protect their shins. Now I'm gonna walk over to the corner of the field and talk about a kick that happens here. And when I show it to you, I'm sure you'll know it. That, we call that the corner. And the kicks that come from this area, guess what we call them? We call them corner kicks. If the goalie or the goalkeeper gets to kick the ball instead, we call it a goal kick. That's pretty easy, right? Let's talk about a soccer player's feet next. They wear special shoes, and we call those special shoes cleats, special shoes. That's not easy to say, but we call them cleats because they have little spikes at the bottom of their shoes. If you're in England, they call it something different, and they say that they are soccer studs. Wind's really blowing, hopefully you can hear me. They call them soccer studs. In the United States, soccer studs are very different. Soccer studs are guys that people find attractive. Like a stud in the United States is slang for an attractive guy, an attractive dude. Soccer studs, England, soccer cleats, in the United States. If anybody wants to see what a soccer stud looks like in the United States, I'll, I'll put up a, a video of a soccer stud. If you don't wanna see a soccer stud in the United States, just like fast forward five seconds. We've talked about how a manager or a coach will run the team, they are in charge of the team, but there's a player, a special player, who goes on the field and plays the game, but they're in charge on the field. We call that person a captain, and you know they're a captain because they will wear an armband on their arm. Let's talk about when a team loses, and we can talk about some slang that you can use next time you're talking about a team losing. Austria, I'm sorry. Yesterday, I watched a game. Austria lost. They were eliminated from the tournament. And if I was talking to a friend of mine and we were sad that Austria lost, we could say, oh, it's too bad Austria lost. Rip Austria, R-I-P, rip Austria. You can say that pretty much for anything that you've lost. Like 
let's say you had a glass of water. It was a really cold glass of water and you wanted to drink it, but you accidentally knocked it off the table. Now you can no longer drink it. You might say, oh, rip glass of water, rip. Anytime you lose something, you can say rip. It comes from when people pass away on their gravestone, sometimes it's written R-I-P and that stands for rest in peace. If you like these English lessons where we get outside and learn, I have another one for you. It's where I went to a lighthouse, one of the most beautiful spots in Maine, and I did a video from there. Thanks for watching, see you next time. I think there was a helicopter in the background. The wind is blowing, I hope you heard me. See you next time, yeah. There's a helicopter flying around in the back. Don't they know I'm trying to teach English? All right, for real, see you next time. In today's lesson, I want to give you three maybe four sayings and idioms that native speakers say all the time in English. All of them will have the word cold in them. And I think, you know, this will be a great way to learn English for those phrases. But I think the better thing will be listening to a native English speaker, hopefully speak clearly, speak at a really good pace for you not too slow, not too quickly, and it's going to be super casual. So you can watch this over and over again, maybe have this playing in the background while you're doing dishes, just to get that listening inside your brain so that your brain will become uh, more comfortable with hearing the English language. And one of the best ways to speak English is to hear English. I've said it before in some videos, it's true, I promise. Listening to English will actually help you speak English. So I have some notes on my phone. You may see me look down at my, uh, at my knee a couple times because uh, my phone has some notes. It has the sayings that have cold in them that I wanna talk to you about. So the first one is cold turkey. Cold turkey has nothing to do with the animal, turkey. Um, we often in the United States eat turkey for Thanksgiving and uh, I don't know, it's an idiom, which is why it has nothing to do with turkey being cold, but it means you stop something right then and there. It's another phrase we use a lot, right then and there, you stop something and it's almost always bad. So smoking is the first thing that comes to mind. I hope you don't smoke. I hope you don't smoke. I think some cultures around the world think, uh, you know, smoking is okay. In the United States, and I think science backs this up, like yes, you shouldn't you shouldn't smoke. But let's uh let's take a friend of yours or a friend of mine and my friend smokes. And then one day they decide, you know what? Today I had 8 cigarettes. Tomorrow I'm going to have zero. I'm not gonna smoke ever again, that's stopping cold turkey. Maybe you, uh, you have a lot of sugar in your diet. I might be guilty of that. And maybe one day I say to myself, you know, you know, know what, no more sugar. No more sugar. I would stop it cold turkey. Number two is to get cold feet. To get cold feet, it means you have something to do you're getting nervous and then you don't want to do it. One of the most common ways you will hear to get cold feet 
in English in the United States is when someone is about to get married. And maybe the night before, they think to themselves, oh no, this is the wrong person. I can't marry them. And then they don't want to go through with it. That would mean they have cold feet. Or if they start doubting themselves, oh no, should I marry this person? You might say they are starting to get cold feet. Again, I'm not sure what feet has to do with it. I'm not sure what cold has to do with it. But anytime you hear of somebody getting cold feet in English, it means they're getting nervous and they don't want to do something they have to do. They don't want to go through with it. Let's see the next one. Oh, give someone the cold shoulder to get. So this is your shoulder right here. It really has nothing to do with cold, nothing to do with shoulder, but it means you ignore somebody. You ignore somebody. Let's say you have a coworker, someone you work with, and I don't know, maybe you heard that they were talking about you when you weren't in the room. They were saying bad things about you. We might say that they were talking behind your back. There's a bonus phrase there. If somebody is talking behind your back, it means they're talking about you, you're not in the room, and they're saying bad things about you. So if you found out somebody was talking about you, someone was saying some not so nice things about you, the next day at work, you might give them the cold shoulder. You might ignore them. So anytime you ignore somebody, you're giving them the cold shoulder. Oh, the next one. I like this one. Out cold, out cold. I think there are two ways that we can use this. Uh, one is good and one is bad. Let's do the bad one first. If you get injured, if you get hit on the head and get knocked out, that's an English phrasal verb. If you lose consciousness, that's a big word. Basically, let's say somebody gets hit in the head and then they pass out. There's a lot of English phrasal verbs there, right? But they're on the ground, their eyes are shut, you shake them to try to wake them up and they don't wake up, they're not dead, they're not dead. They're just out cold. They're just out cold. They probably have a concussion. So that's the bad way. You can get knocked out and you can get knocked out cold. You're just out cold. Uh, boxing, does anybody, anybody like the sport of boxing? It's a little violent. Some people like it, but if uh, somebody gets punched in the head, they go down and then people try to wake them up, we might say that they have been knocked out or they're out cold or they pass out. So a lot of ways to describe that. But one could be a good way, and this is when you're sleeping. Let's say you have a small child and that small child has been running around all day, running, running, running. They have a lot of energy. Well, at night, maybe they go to sleep and they're just out cold. That's good for parents. If you are sleeping and you're just out cold, that's good. Now it might be bad if you have a job interview and your alarm goes off and you're still out cold and you don't wake up for the alarm and you don't make it to the job interview on time, yeah, that would be a bad thing. So out cold 
can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. Let's see, any more? Uh, I mean, I have a couple more written down, but I think these are the most common. I don't wanna give you one that you'll never use. So let's stop there with uh, some that you will hear quite often. And then I hope that you were able to follow along with this English lesson and uh, I'll see you next time. Welcome back to another lesson. In today's lesson to help you improve your English, we are going to talk about 18 of the most difficult, most confusing words in the English language. And they are used every day, not by every person every day, but when you are having some of those more advanced conversations, you will run into these words. We're talking about words like opportunity versus probability. We're talking about the difference between consistent and persistent. Sympathy, empathy, apathy. What are the differences? If you are an advanced English speaker, if you are studying for the IELTS or the TOEFL, this is the perfect lesson for you. If you are a beginner, check it out, but this might not be the right lesson for you. This is going to be challenging. This is going to be one of those lessons you may want to pause the video and think about what I say. You may want to step away from the video, come back to it a few minutes later, a few days later, because we are diving deep into the English language. We'll also do some shadowing to help you with that English pronunciation. If you've seen any of the videos I've done on shadowing before, the sentence will appear at the bottom. I hope that doesn't interfere with the subtitles or the closed captions if you have them on, but I think it's better than having them over my head. If that sounds like a great English lesson for you, grab a piece of paper maybe a pen, maybe that coffee, sit down and let's get into it because by the end of this lesson, I promise your English will be improved. One quick note before we get into that lesson, I need to give a huge shout out to Yasin. He left a comment. Let me slide over here. He left a comment on one of my videos a couple months ago and this is what I am basing this lesson on, his comment. He left 18 words in that comment. He said they're confusing. I agree. I might add a couple more, but we will be talking about at least 18 very confusing words. Let's get started. The first pair of words that can be confusing is opportunity and probability. Even pronouncing it, right? Probability opportunity. Let's talk about opportunity first. It means you have a chance at something that might fail. Usually it's a good thing, but for some reason it might not happen. It will probably happen. We'll talk about probably in just a few minutes, but it's something good that can happen in your life, but it's not for sure. Let's look at the word in a sentence. I do not want to blow this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. In this sentence, to blow something, it means to fail at it. For some reason, it doesn't go the right way. My daughter has the opportunity 
to study in the United States next spring. There's some shadowing practice for you. My daughter has the opportunity to study in the United States next spring. Maybe this young lady has really good grades. Her college says, why don't you study in the United States? It could be a great opportunity for you. At work, I have the opportunity for a promotion. If you notice in this sentence, there is a prepositional phrase before the subject. Therefore, I need to put a comma before the subject. I in this sentence is the subject. The prepositional phrase is at work. This prepositional phrase could come at the end of the sentence. You would not need a comma then. You could say, I have the opportunity for a promotion at work. The next one is probability. That means there is a chance that something could happen. It could be a high probability of something happening or a low probability of something happening. Let's look at a couple examples. There's a high probability for rain tomorrow. In other words, there is a good chance that it will rain tomorrow. Maybe you go to your boss at work. You want the day off tomorrow. Maybe it's going to be sunny. You have some plans to go to the beach. You may ask your boss, what's the probability of me getting the day off tomorrow? What are the chances I don't have to work? What's the probability you will understand everything in this English lesson today? I don't know. I hope there's a high probability, but if the probability is low, you can always watch it again. The next two words, probably and properly. Probably. There's a good chance something will happen. Right now, as I'm recording this lesson, it's summer where I live, and I will probably go to the beach again this summer. There's a good chance I don't live too far from the beach. When you ask your boss for the day off, hopefully they will say, yeah, you can probably get the day off tomorrow. Probably. There's a good chance that that will happen. My daughter will probably study in the United States next year. So sometimes in English, you might hear a 50-50 chance of something happening. That means an equally good chance that it will happen with an equally bad chance. 50-50, an equal chance of it happening. If something will probably happen, there's a better than 50% chance that it will happen. It, it just isn't certain. It's not definite. If we go back to that probability thing, there's a high probability of it happening if you say it will probably happen. Yeah. See, I told you this is a tough lesson. Let's talk about properly. That means it's, it's done well. Here's the sentence. If something is done properly, it is done well. I hope I'm teaching this lesson properly. Now, notice properly is an adverb. It describes how something is done. It describes a verb most of the time. At least in the United States, when we use properly, that is very formal English. Let's take my children. They each have rooms. I might ask them to clean their room. 
when they are done, if I want it to be really formal, I hardly ever am really formal. I might say, have you cleaned your room properly? Have you cleaned your room properly? I would probably just say, have you cleaned your room well? Probably. I would probably say that instead. You ready for the next one? It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. One that I think even native English speakers have a tough time with. But this is the difference between three words. Sympathy, empathy, and apathy. They all have something to do with the way you feel towards something else. Let's take a look at sympathy. Sympathy. Sympathy is when you feel badly for someone. You can offer your sympathy. Let's say a very good friend of yours just lost a loved one. Maybe they lost their mother. Their mother has passed away. You can offer them sympathy. So sympathy is when you are feeling bad for someone. Empathy is a little bit different. Empathy means you can feel what the other person feels. Empathy is when you understand the feelings of someone. You can feel empathetic towards someone. Empathy is the noun. Empathetic is the adjective. It describes how you feel. Let's take homeless children. You know, it's, it's a really sad thing. So you could definitely have sympathy for those homeless children. For sure, you could feel bad for them because they don't have a home. Now let's think about the people who help out homeless children. You could have a lot of empathy for those people who work with those children. Let's take a look at that example sentence. I will read it and you can practice shadowing. I have a lot of empathy for those people who work with homeless children. So, of course, those children have really tough lives. You could have sympathy for them. You could even have empathy. But it might be a little difficult to know exactly how they are feeling if you've never been homeless yourself. But with someone who works with homeless children, you might be able to understand how they feel going home every night. They probably think about those children they work with a lot. So you could feel empathy for those people. You could be empathetic for those people. Anytime you tell someone, oh, I know how you're feeling, you are showing empathy. The next one is apathy or being apathetic. And that means you don't care at all. You really have no feelings towards the subject. Maybe you have an English class that you really don't want to go to. I hope, I hope you don't have that. Maybe, maybe you're watching this lesson and you think, oh, Brent, that guy, he's so much better than my other English teacher. So maybe you're feeling some apathy towards your class right now. You don't really want to go. Here's an example sentence. I am feeling a ton of apathy towards my English class. I don't feel like going this afternoon. Whew. So let's review. Sympathy is when you feel bad for someone. Empathy is when you can feel 
how that other person feels. And apathy is you don't really care at all. And if you are enjoying this lesson at all, if you are finding some value, do you mind hitting that thumbs up? It helps other people find this lesson. This lesson is a lot longer than I thought it would be. If there is a part two, I will put a card right up there. If you want to continue learning English, take a look at a video I made about the state of Texas. Brent here from American English with this guy. And today we're talking about how Americans talk about school. We're going to go from the very young students to the very old students. And maybe this is their first time to the channel, but uh, I'm Brent. But you'll see the questions are actually addressed to Bob. Sometimes I hang out in Bob the Canadian's live chat. You probably know who he is. If you don't, he's another English teacher, big YouTube channel. He's awesome. Check him out, Bob the Canadian. But he'll do live chats, and I hang out there because I get ideas for videos. I see the questions, but I also talk with a lot of his viewers because a lot of viewers of his viewers, they find my channel. So we share a lot of the viewers. I get a lot of viewers from him. I don't think he gets so many from me because I am so small, but on the other channel, we just hit 5,000 subscribers. So thank you if you've subscribed on that channel. But, um, oh, my daughter's ready. I may have to make the rest of this. See, my daughter is uh, out to lunch with her friends and she needs me to pick her up. I thought I had a little more time to make this video or this lesson. I got to go. So I'm going to edit it. You won't know that I leave and I come back, but I have to leave and I have to come back. I wonder if I'll be wearing the same shirt. I don't know. We'll find out. I might just go pick her up and then just come back and make this video. I may make it a day later, but I do want to talk about a couple questions that Maria C from Argentina asked and another question that Nori from Hungary asked. Be right back. All right, I'm back. I just have a sweatshirt on now because it's, it's a little cold. Still the same shirt though. But yeah, I just came home with my daughter. So um, I have I have the questions on my phone, but you'll be able to see them somewhere on the screen. So let's talk about um, Nori's question first. And both Nori and Maria happen to be channel members, you know, I got to look out for the channel members. They take care of me every month. So I want to make sure their questions are answered. If you want to become a channel member, you can check. There's a link down there and we, we talk on discord all the time. So I, I told them that I was making this video. Nori is asking about the very young side of school. So she's wondering, let me look here. Maybe I should have grabbed my glasses. Um, the words we use in the years before elementary school. So elementary school would be, it starts with kindergarten. And I will talk about that in a minute because it's in our question. Preschool, kindergarten, nursery. What's the difference between those three? Great question. So in some places in the United States, not all, but kindergarten is considered like the first grade that you go to school. But after kindergarten, we have something called first grade and then second grade. That's how we say it. First grade, second grade, third grade. But the very first year that usually public schools, 
Okay. Not private schools, public schools, taxpayer money goes to it. It's open to everyone who has a child. Kindergarten usually starts at about age four or five. Okay. That would be a public school. They probably ride a school bus to get there. It's usually the first year of elementary school. Nursery school and preschool are very similar. In fact, we might say that they are the same, but I think nursery school would come first. In English, when we say a nursery, if that is in somebody's house, you're thinking a baby. A baby lives in that room, the nursery. That's probably where the baby sleeps, probably where the baby gets their diaper changed. You know, it's, it's the baby room. Hospitals also will have a nursery and that is for newborns, newborn babies. So when I hear nursery school, I'm thinking very, very young. Maybe babies are there, maybe two-year-olds, three-year-olds, but a nursery school, the focus isn't on learning math or learning how to read. It's more learning how to play, being social, learning how to interact with other kids their age. That goes on in preschool, that goes on in kindergarten, but I think the focus is just learning how to leave your parents. Nursery school is for the very, very young. And then you have something called preschool. Now, my children both went to preschool, and it was the year before they went to kindergarten. So if I had to put an age, nursery would be the youngest, nursery school. Preschool is in the middle, followed by kindergarten. Now let's talk a little bit about preschool. That is where children are taught how to go to school. They probably don't ride a school bus to preschool. They're probably four years old. They might be five if they're a little older and they're not quite ready for kindergarten. Their parents might put them in preschool. There, they will learn maybe the Pledge of Allegiance. Every day, it it might sound weird to some. It sounds a little weird to me. We say the Pledge of Allegiance in class at the beginning of every school day. You literally put your hand on your your heart. It's got to be your right hand. You look at the flag and you say this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic of for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible. Oh man, I'm not in school right now. I th- it's something like that. It's something like that. Bunch of big words, but kids learn, they have to learn how to say it. A lot of times they will learn the pledge in preschool. You know, they will learn how to do school. They will learn, they will learn a little bit of reading and a little bit of math. Pre means before. So preschool gets children ready to go to school, to go to kindergarten. In some ways, preschool, nursery, kindergarten, they're sometimes used interchangeably. But I think the way I explained it, I think that will help. Now, the next question is from Maria, and she's asking about the older students. After elementary school, 
comes middle school and then comes high school. And after high school, what the heck she's asking. And she says, Bob, I don't know if you use the words college and university university interchangeably, but, um, she said she was still confused about that. And, and it can be confusing in the United States. Short answer, they can be used interchangeably college university. But since I have a little bit more time here with you, so like short answer, you can use them, whatever, you know, you'll be speaking, you'll have a bit of an accent. You know, people aren't Americans use those two terms interchangeably, but I'm going to dive a little deeper and talk about when we don't use them interchangeably. So I went to the university of Alabama. That's what my hat is. University of Alabama. I would never say the college of Alabama. The name of the school is the university of Alabama. So you can't use college there interchangeably with the university. Somebody might ask me, where'd you go to college? Oh, I went to the University of Alabama. Where did you go to university? I went to the University of Alabama. In the United States, I promise you will hear, where did you go to college? Way more than where did you go to university? Usually with university, we'll also put A in front of it. So somebody might ask, are you going to a university? this fall or are you going to a college this fall? I think in other parts of the world, they might just say, are you going to university this fall? It's a little different here. If somebody asks you the question, are you going to college or university? You might hear that college would mean more local. They probably wouldn't have to travel very far to get there. We have something in the United States called community college. That is often when people graduate from high school, but they're not ready to leave for a four-year college or a four-year year university. And when I say that, about that easy for me to say, a four-year college or a four-year university, same thing. Community college, usually two years. We never say community university, a community college. It's usually two years. It's, it's like almost like a preschool for college, I guess. Almost. We never say that, but it's like that. It's to get, um, students ready for leaving home for four years or more, but a community college will give you a two year degree. It's called an associate's degree. I don't know. This isn't part of the question, but I could talk about bachelor's and master's and your PhD, but we'll save that for another video. Okay. So university college, I mean, they can be used the same, but when you're talking about the school name, so our rival, the university of Alabama, we have a rival and that's another school. When we play sports against them, they're like our biggest enemy. And that biggest enemy is called Auburn University. Auburn University. So you would never say the University of Auburn. No, it's Auburn University. Just like you would never say for the University of Alabama, you would never say Alabama University. So when you're talking about the actual name 
of the college, it's important where you put university. Um, let's see. Ooh, Harvard. Is it Har- Harvard University or Harvard College? You know, one of our best institutions. So it probably has a proper name. Most people would just say Harvard. What is it? It's Harvard University, right? Another thing about college versus university in the United States, university sounds a little more professional, a little bit more formal. And if you're just kind of being casual, you know, we might say university. So that's a really in-depth way to look at the difference between college and university. When in doubt, it probably doesn't matter which you say. If you want to look for another English lesson like this, take a look at the one I did right up there on the city of Boston, which is where Harvard's located. Thanks for watching. See you next time. In today's English lesson, I want to teach you three phrases native speakers say all the time, and all of them have the word tongue in them. Plus, I'll throw in an extra bonus saying. And to teach this lesson, I'm actually going on a walk on a little trail not far from an elementary school. That elementary school is called Sherwood Heights, and I am going to be entering Sherwood Forest. I thought it'd be a little fun to get out of the house, teach a little English, and also get some exercise at the same time. I hope the bugs aren't too bad, but it looks like there's a pond, so let's head that way. And I wanna thank my Italian friend, Linda, for leaving a comment on one of my videos. I think in Italian, I might say, la mia amica dell'Italia? I might've gotten the preposition wrong there, but she was wondering if there was a phrase we say in English when you can't think of something, oh, the bugs might be getting bad. I may have to turn around. Um, but she was thinking about like when you know something, you know that word, but you can't think of it. Do we have a saying for that in English? And yes, we do. Well, guess what? Change of plans. The bugs are pretty bad here. I don't want to get eaten alive. There are a lot of mosquitoes here. So bonus phrase if there are a lot of bugs around and you think you're going to get bit a lot or stung by mosquitoes you can say i'm going to get eaten alive i don't feel like doing that today let's go to this baseball field out here i think there will be fewer bugs well it was good while it lasted that's another phrase i didn't plan on teaching has nothing to do with tongue but you can say it was good while it lasted when something didn't last as long as you thought it would it was fun at first but then it turned out to be a disaster there's a little playground here too so maybe we'll go there i had planned on listening to my music walking a little while teaching a little while that's not gonna happen oh somebody lost their baseball the first saying or phrase I want to teach you is, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. This is what Linda was talking about, that phrase we have in English when you know what you want to say. It's right there, but you can't think of it. 
Uh, I have a wife, Jamie, you may have heard of her. She's been on the channel a few times. And often when we watch a movie for the first time, we'll see an actress and, oh, I've seen her in something. Oh, what's her name? What's her name? It's on the tip of your tongue. It's like you almost can say it, but your brain can't quite bring it up for you. Bring it up. There's a English phrasal verb there for you. It can't retrieve it. It can't find it. It can't bring it up for you. And this is where the bonus phrase comes in because it doesn't have tongue in it. But the bonus phrase that goes along with on the tip of my tongue is, oh, if you didn't ask me, I could have told you. If you didn't ask me, I could have told you. But English speakers will say, oh, if you didn't ask me, I could have told you. If you didn't ask me, I could have told you. Meaning, oh, if you hadn't mentioned the actress, I probably could have told you her name. If you didn't ask me, I could have told you. You can use this phrase when both of you can't come up with the name for the actress. This often happens with names. Let's say you're talking to a friend you went to high school with. You were talking to a high school friend and you might say, oh, you, what was the name of that teacher we had in, in um, 11th grade? Uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. What was her name? Oh, if you didn't ask me, I could have told you. This happens to me all the time in Italian. Many of you know that I'm studying Italian. And when you try to say a word, it's like, oh, it's right there. It's on the tip of your tongue. I bet the same thing happens to you in English sometimes. Oh, look, a big rock. Let's go try to climb it. Yeah, it's not that big. I thought it was a little bigger, but now that we're up here, I can talk about the second phrase I wanna teach you. Well, the second phrase with tongue, but the third phrase overall, and that is slip of the tongue. So if you say something you didn't mean to say, you can call it uh, a slip of the tongue. Maybe your mom just cooked a great meal, but you don't like part of it. Maybe the chicken she cooked is really good, but the potatoes, they're not that good. And you might accidentally say, oh, I, I really love these, the, the meal, but the potatoes aren't that good. I didn't mean to say that out loud. It was just a, a little slip of the tongue. And when you have a slip of the tongue, it's always embarrassing. How do I get down from here? It's not that high, but it, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting old, which is why I wanted to go on that walk and try to lose a little weight. Let's say a friend of yours is having a surprise birthday party and you accidentally let the cat out of the bag. There's a bonus one. I think a lot of people know that, but letting the cat out of the bag is when you let a secret out that you didn't mean to. So maybe you tell that friend, oh, I can't wait to go to your party on Friday night. And they say, what party are you talking about? Oh, I let the cat out of the bag. It was a little slip of the tongue. Another saying that we uh, have in English that native speakers say all the time, using tongue is tongue-tied. Tongue-tied is when you're trying to speak, but for some reason you can't. Maybe you have to give a big speech in front of a lot of people and, and you're nervous. So when you get up on stage, 
you get up to the podium and you try to start speaking, it comes out all wrong. You would be a little tongue-tied. Maybe you have a first date with a really good-looking woman or really good-looking guy, whatever you're into. And when you first meet them, maybe they're so beautiful or so handsome that you become tongue-tied. You can't get the words out. Maybe you have that first meeting with your English tutor and you're trying to come up with the words in English and you just become tongue-tied. You can't do it the words won't come out. I hope you learned a few things in this English lesson. If you're looking to learn more English, right up there is a lesson I did on other ways we can say it's hot outside. Thanks for watching. See you later. Brent here from American English with this guy. And I want to talk about three verbs in English that might be a little bit difficult, but if you know how to use them, it might really improve your vocabulary. So this comes from a live chat I did. Let me see if I can find it here. A live chat that I did um, this past Saturday. And as I was looking through the comments, I realized, oh, I missed this question. So I want to answer it right now. Thank you, Luciano, for this question. What's the difference between to move and to wiggle? So let's talk about movement right now. And all three verbs I talk about today will have something to do with movement. So there's some kind of motion going on. Right now, I'm moving my hands. So move is just a really general verb to show motion. Wiggle, that's a little different. Right now, I'm wiggling my fingers. I'm wearing earphones right now, but and I can't do it, but some people can wiggle their ears. And when we say wiggle, it's tiny little movements. Let's think of a, a worm. It might wiggle across the road. You know, little worm there, wiggle. Think of a little baby. Maybe the parents put that little baby in their crib, but they can't quite get comfortable. So they might wiggle around in their crib squirm. That's the next one I want to talk about right here. And trickle will be the last one. But squirm and wiggle are very similar. They're like almost the same. In fact, I might say you could use them interchangeably. But here are a couple ways to use squirm. Let's say there's a snake. I mean, it's almost like a worm, right? But maybe a snake is squirming across the grass. You could probably also say wiggling across the grass. So squirm, wiggle, pretty much the same. Trickle, maybe an advanced verb, not really related to squirm and wiggle, but trickle usually has something to do with water or liquid, and it means it's moving very slowly. Let's th say you're really thirsty and you are at the faucet. Faucet, maybe an advanced word for where water comes out, like right by, right where your sink is, water comes out of the faucet. Maybe you're really thirsty. So you turn the handle, but only a trickle comes out. That can be used as a noun, or you could say the water is only trickling. Three rather advanced verbs in English. If you want more, check out this video I made about three other ways to say I'm hot 
in English. Welcome back to another English lesson. In today's lesson, we are going to be talking about the state of New York, and it's going to have a little bit of everything to improve your English. I will be reading. The words will be on the screen. You'll be able to listen. That's one of the best ways to improve your English. And by the end of this, I don't see how your English isn't going to be better than it was when we started. And a little bonus, you're going to learn about American history. It's always important to know a little bit about the culture when you're studying a foreign language. And we'll learn some new phrasal verbs and some new vocabulary along the way. Let's get right into this lesson. And I'm reading from the Wikipedia page about New York State. But if you notice, it is simple English. So a little bit easier than the regular Wikipedia page. New York, officially the state of New York, is a state of the United States and was one of the original 13 colonies, which were the first 13 states to make up the United States. Or they say the U.S. here. But look at make up. There's an English phrasal verb there. And it just means there are different parts coming together to make one thing. So those first 13 colonies made up the United States. New York is in the northeastern United States, bordered by Lake Ontario and Canada on the north. Lake Erie and Canada on the west. Pennsylvania on the west and south. Vermont, Massachusetts, and Connecticut on the east and New Jersey on the south in the eastern part of the state. So right there, we have a lot of U.S. states to choose from there. Before we read that next paragraph, let's take a look at where they are talking about. New York State is in the red. You can see that state right there is Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Vermont. Side note, in case anybody cares, I was actually born in the state of Vermont. But nobody cares. Let's get back to the second paragraph here. New York was originally New Netherland, started by the Dutch Empire in the early 17th century. Did you know that? We don't think of the Dutch or the Netherlands as a colonial power like France or Spain or Portugal or England. But yeah, originally where New York is today, that was colonized at first by the Dutch. Late in the century, it surrendered to an English fleet during the Anglo-Dutch Wars. A lot of times when you see Anglo in English, think of England, Anglo, or think of the language English, and became part of the British Empire. Here, I have some shadowing practice for you. I am going to read this sentence, and then you can shadow after me. You can pause the lesson and repeat after me. It will help you with your pronunciation. And the reason I wrote this sentence is because it has a phrasal verb in it. Oh, Everybody hates learning phrasal verbs, right? They're so difficult. But this one is gave up or surrendered. The Dutch surrendered 
or gave up the piece of land that is now known as New York City to the British. They also mentioned a word that might be new for you, and that is fleet. And right down there, you can see I have a definition for fleet. A fleet is a group of ships, vehicles, or aircraft. An example sentence for you is right at the bottom. And a moving company is a business that helps people move from one house to the other. They will pack up, another English phrasal verb, they will pack up all of their furniture, all of their belongings, and help them move from one house to the other. The moving company had a fleet of 13 trucks. And here's one more example sentence. New York City is often called the Big Apple, NYC, or simply the city. And did you notice when I said often? I read it like often. A lot of times that T will change to a D just because it's easier to say. And while we're here, I want to introduce a new term to you, and that is thumbnail sketch. In today's lesson, we're only doing a thumbnail sketch of the state of New York. Not easy to say, thumbnail sketch. But if you look down at the bottom and you've never heard of what a thumbnail sketch is, well, look, there's a definition for you. A thumbnail sketch is what we call a quick view. It doesn't dig too deep into the subject. The first way I read that is how you will hear a lot of Americans speak. But below is actually the grammatically correct way because deeply is used as an adverb there. And often with adverbs, we will put an L-Y at the end. And if you remember adverbs, they help describe other adverbs, adjectives, and verbs. A thumbnail sketch is what we call a quick view. It doesn't dig too deeply into the subject. So two ways to say that sentence, one a little bit more formal than the other. All right, back to the article. And we are, hopefully you can see my cursor. We're starting second paragraph. What is it? Third sentence, maybe? It starts with about. About half the Dutch colony was given to neighboring English colonies. The Battle of Long Island, Battle of Saratoga, maybe a difficult word there for you, and other important battles of the American Revolution were fought in New York and it joined the United States. The slave trade brought many black people into the state where they were forced to work for white colonies. Yeah, slavery, it's a touchy subject. When there is something that's difficult to talk about, you may call it a touchy subject. Yeah, slavery is a touchy subject. It's an embarrassing part of American history, but it happened, and it's best not to forget that. We have a saying in English when it comes to history, it's good to remember history so you don't repeat it. I think that's what almost every American history teacher says on the first day of class. They might say something like this. If you don't remember history, you are doomed to repeat it. Doomed is a verb often used in that phrase. Yeah, and a lot of times we think of the American South. When I say the American South, I mean states like Texas, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Louisiana, the American South. 
We often think of slavery only happening in the American South, but that's not true. It just disappeared earlier in the American North. But let's talk about present day New York. What's going on in New York right now? So third to the last paragraph, this is the last paragraph. This is the second to last paragraph. So this would be the third to last paragraph. The United States Census Bureau says that as of 2005, New York had the fourth most people or population in the United States after California, Texas, and Florida. New York's estimated population is 19,297,729. Let's take a look at that word estimated, estimated. So we don't have an exact number. We don't have a precise number. An estimate is another way to say a really good guess. So New York's estimated population is, let's practice reading big numbers, 19,297,729. Notice the commas in that number. Those are big keys of where you want to stop, pause, and think about the placeholding number. 19,297,729. Now let's talk about some of the cities of New York City. And it's hard not to talk about the biggest one. I think even in the United States, when you say New York, most people think of the city first and not the state. The biggest city in New York is also called New York, located in the southeastern part of the state and built on the Hudson River. It is by far the biggest city in the U.S. By far, that's a good term to know. If you want to say something is a lot more than another thing. So he is by far the fastest runner in his state. It's not close. By far. Really fast. Part of New York City is on Long Island, a large island in the Atlantic Ocean, and another part of it is on Staten Island, which is to the southwest of Manhattan, the central business district. So you may have heard of Manhattan Whenever I think of Manhattan, I think, wow, rich people. Most people living in New York State live in the New York metropolitan area, one of the world's biggest metropolitan areas, which also includes parts of eastern New Jersey. Yeah, so maybe a, a tough sentence right there, but metropolitan, it means it's bigger than just the city because maybe some of the people living in the metropolitan area also work in the city. So here's an example sentence for you. The metropolitan area or metro area of New York City also includes parts of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut. And I know that article didn't say that, but it's true. There are a couple other counties and a couple other states that are included in the New York metropolitan area. The larger part of New York north and northwest of the metropolitan area is called upstate New York. Upstate New York, that's basically the two ways you'll hear New York State talked about. It's New York City 
or upstate New York. Pretty much everything that isn't part of New York City is upstate New York. Cities in this part of New York include Buffalo. Buffalo has a football team called the Buffalo Bills, and they have a hockey team called the Buffalo Sabres, the state's second largest city. All right, you see that city that I highlighted? Don't even try to sound it out. Don't even try to read it because it sounds nothing like it looks. That is Rochester. Rochester. Syracuse and the state capital of Albany. These places became cities because of the Erie Canal. Between 1788 and 1797, the legislature... We'll talk about that in a minute. The legislature moved the state capital around between Albany, Kingston, and, ooh, how do you think you say that word starting with the P? It's Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie, and New York City. Albany became the permanent capital from 1797. Permanent, it means it's going to stay. It's not going anywhere. It is what it is permanent. Maybe you get a permanent stain on your shirt. That is not coming out. Maybe you were eating a hot dog, some mustard dripped on your shirt. It dried. Yeah, that's a permanent stain. You are not getting out that stain. Now let's take a look at that word legislature. Legislature is often another name for a state government. Legislature. Come on, isn't your English better now than it was just a few minutes ago? Hey, if you like learning this way, take a look at a lesson I did just like this one on the state of Florida. Thanks for watching.